Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Team preview time. I've been waiting to do this. I am back in the Bay Area. Going to start banging these out here. And this is just such an, an informative process, an essential process for me to go through what a team did last year. Really start to think about what these rotations are going to look like. And when we can find a good one, bring in a local expert. And there's no one a greater expert on the Milwaukee Bucks, in my opinion, than one Frank Madden. How you doing? I'm doing great, Nate. Uh, good to be back. It feels early. We were joking before the pod that, uh, you know, we, we always sort of have this like outline of questions, uh, which I, I know pretty well now are nice enough to have me back uh, the last few years. But um, yeah, it was weird. I, I'd almost like kind of put aside sort of my, my 18, 19 bucks thoughts for, for a couple months. Um, but we, we actually had this conversation last year, actually before the end of uh, August. So um, I guess it was it was high time. We kind of started thinking about the, uh, the 2019, 20 bucks. And um, I guess what a difference a year makes. Not not that, not that we, we didn't expect good things from them last year, but certainly a, a very different uh, state of the universe from a, from a Bucks fan perspective coming into this year versus pretty much any other season that I can think of in the past two decades. So um, yeah. so pretty fun times. Well, and we uh, we talked about this a, a little bit off air, but you know this is a team that for the second year in a row really has a, a fair amount of continuity. We didn't know it as we spoke at this time last year how transformative Mike Budenholzer and Brooke Lopez would be. I think we were both higher on the bucks perhaps than the consensus when we talked last year and of course the the reality far exceeded that but of course there was the extremely disappointing loss in the eastern conference finals and what is the zeitgeist now just around this team with you know malika andrews report that hey you know getting to the nba finals is going to be important for Giannis resigning then malcolm brogdon is not brought back they had the means really to bring him back to elected not to do so pick up a first and second round pick from indiana uh is there a feeling that this team just wasn't good enough is there a feeling that they blew it against toronto last year i mean people forget that they had even a, a 15 point lead in the end of the third quarter of game six uh, on the road um and is there a feeling that maybe last year was their best chance or is their optimism going into this year instead despite the loss uh, of brockton and, and the missed opportunity last year yeah i mean i think there's still i think the over you know the the predominant feeling is still one of optimism just because again i mean last year was um you know just the ultimate uh i don't know if i don't want to say playing with house money but you know certainly just the um the way that they came out and from you know the start of the season and really up until 
that that Eastern Conference loss. I mean, they were just so consistent, you know, not losing, um, you know, back-to-back games. They had one time where they they lost back-to-back games all season before uh, the Raptors series. Um, you know, other than Brogdon having his, like, annual, you know, leg injury, um, you know, and they had Miritich out for a little bit. But uh, for the most part, you know, really good health. Um, kind of things just really went like clockwork. And even with, again, a brand-new coaching staff and bringing in a very different sort of approach on, on really both ends than what they've had previously. Obviously, under the uh, Jason Kidd slash Joe Prenti era, um, it just kind of clicked right away. And so I think, you know, we're still, you know, even even a year in, I think on the one hand, I think absolutely it was really disappointing to not win a title last year after kind of the way things started to evolve and, uh, you know, going up 2-0 in the East Finals, being on the road and going to, you know, multiple overtimes to have with a chance to win and go up 3-0 um, in the East Finals. Uh, to to come away from that, you know, not even making in the finals, obviously, is, is a disappointment. Um, I think in the absolute you know, an East Finals trip. I think if you told me um, kind of late in the season, I would have told you that was sort of like the minimum where Bucks fans could feel okay about the season. But, you know, again, I think when the Miritich trade happened at the deadline, I think for me, that was sort of a turning point where I started to feel like, okay, I mean, we know they'd had they'd had the best record in the league for most of the year up to that point. But suddenly it was like, wait a minute, this team, I mean, even with Philly making their moves, this team really felt like they had a legit chance to win a title. And, you know, it's funny now because obviously the Raptors win the title and, you know, who knows what the Warriors are going to be like this year. But I mean, a year ago, none of us were, you know, thinking that that anybody but the Warriors was was likely to win a championship. So um, so it's it's kind of a mixed, I guess, a mixed emotions a little bit looking back, knowing that they had uh, obviously a tremendous opportunity, um, you know, if things maybe break a little bit differently. I think, you know, at the end of the day, the Raptors had a great game plan uh, defensively. And, you know, I think they outplayed the Bucks. I mean, you don't lose four games in a row without... Um, uh, without you doing some things wrong, and it's not just bad luck to lose four games in a row. But you know, again, there, there's a lot of things you could probably look at too, and just say, you know, if Fred Van Vliet doesn't go nuclear, Fred Van Vliet. If you know the Bucks, sure. anybody makes some shots. If Bledsoe or Miritich does anything remotely resembling their regular season, Giannis is you know a little bit better. Who knows, right? But um, you know, ultimately, it was a, a great regular season. The, certainly, the most fun regular season that you know I've I've lived through as a Bucks fan from the early '90s on. And obviously, Giannis, you know, having that MVP. Season almost pulling off the MVP Defensive Player of the Year double. Um, you know, it's it's hard to have a more enjoyable kind of run, at least up until that East Finals, just given where expectations were and how I kind of knew everything was. Um, but yeah, now the kind of pressure is on, right? And you kind of now are at that inflection point where it's not just a nice story. It's you gotta, you know, every year now it's win a championship or, or kind of bust. And so um, that's the first time the Bucks have been in that situation. I mean, maybe you could say that in in the early 2000s after the East Finals run, but I mean, even that. Team, I don't think was I never thought that sure. team was going to win a championship. So, um, so yeah, it's a different world for the Bucks. New pressures. Uh, the Giannis Supermax eligibility coming up uh, in a year. Obviously, well, they're, the they're in a lot better situation for that now. When I, you know, I thought as we talked at this time last year that it was basically fait accompli that they were going to lose him. That they had so little flexibility to improve the team going forward, and that they just weren't. You know, they're going to be at best second round fodder. And obviously, the coaching change uh, uh, and uh, some of the internal improvement uh and, and getting brooke lopez for 
three million bucks uh kind of change that so my prediction now is that you know it's hard for me to imagine a situation unless they just get completely racked by injuries or something this year and you know they're like 500 or something that he doesn't end the 2021 season on the team whether he resigns at that point i wouldn't know but it, it's it's hard for me to see a scenario in which he gets traded and in which you know he you know does the anthony davis uh paul george you know demand a trade type of thing so i, I think they're in much better better shape there uh, but what i wanted to ask you about it and in terms of focusing on last season is number one do you do you think that the issues that sunk them against the raptors and you know issues that may have existed regardless of whether they were winning or not before that uh have been improved and number two does it matter given the fact that maybe the whole nba doesn't have these titans in the raptors and the warriors the way they did last year it's funny because I am so used to reviewing a Buck season through just sort of the lens of how the regular season go and then what happened when they inevitably lost their first round playoff series. Uh, I got used to doing that for, you know, almost two decades. And last year was very different because you had obviously, you know, we have to look at it through the lens of what happens in the regular season. And then the playoffs, I mean, you know, I, I view the playoffs as just like a series of small samples, right? And I think on the one hand, quality shines, at, you know, at the end of the day, right? It's not like like, you know, this isn't hockey where you get a hot, hot goaltender and you somehow go from being a you know low seed to winning a, a Stanley Cup. It's not baseball where a wild card will frequently win a, a world championship. You know, basketball, the best teams are, are generally, you know, right, right there at the end and, and you don't get, you know, the underdogs winning championships. Um, so I, I think it's a, a, an interesting position for, for kind of them to, to be in, you know, just in general. Um, and I think, you know, when I look at kind of what went wrong specifically in the Raptors series, um, you know, I think just the fact that in the half court, they just looked out of ideas. You know, they just looked like, man, where yeah. did where did all the shot creation go, right? I mean, the you know, the numbers about in the half court, I think they were third um, per cleaning the glass in terms of half court offense points per possession last year. Um, but you, you wouldn't have known it from watching them against the Raptors, uh, you know, putting Kawhi on Giannis. And then anytime Giannis, you know, put him in the post or got near the basket, you had all these good defenders that could just roll and help. And, you know, I'd say the one thing that the Bucks did address was, you know, they didn't, they couldn't make three pointers in that series um you know again brogdon was obviously he's a great spot-up shooter i think if you know you had to pick anybody on you know last year's team to hit a wide open three-point shot at, at a crucial point you'd pick brogdon um but he has a slow release you know he's also a good driver so he maybe doesn't look to jack up as many threes as as you might like as well um you know so i think one area you know adding west matthews kyle corver um we'll see kind of if anybody else from the current roster maybe improves a bit from three-point range um you know maybe there could be some some upside there obviously Giannis is the guy people always look at but you know who knows um so I mean you could say well maybe they have a little bit more firepower especially from you know guys who can just bomb from long range um which is is good right uh but the flip side is you know look in in an Eastern Conference Finals are you going to want to rely on having to put Cal Corver or Wes Wes Matthews out there Corver is really has really failed in the playoffs uh, the last two seasons or I guess really the last three seasons at the highest levels uh, defensively and you know wasn't healthy uh, with the Jazz but you know I think he, he seems like more of a regular season guy yeah. first round of the playoffs guy to me yeah exactly and so I think interestingly now um, you know George Hill who who did have you know some huge moments for them in the playoffs you know I mean, against Boston he was great yeah, uh, had yeah. Really nice that was insane because he I mean he might have even been their second best guy in the Raptors series but he comes back from that groin injury and he's suddenly awesome like, he was terrible. He couldn't shoot yeah. before that. Yeah, he he looked like he it, it was like the ghost of sort 
of just playing with LeBron and not feeling like you're supposed to do anything kind of was still hanging over him for a while there after he came over from Cleveland. And um, and then, you know, once Brogdon got hurt, um, you know, he had uh, Hill had his injury um, and then Brogdon goes down and we kind of all said like, OK, well, you know, that probably takes Brogdon out perhaps until or perhaps through the Celtics series and which which basically, you know, that, that's what happened. And, you know, it's remarkable because as much as, you know, obviously Brogdon is a loss. I mean, he's clearly a much better all around player. He's younger. He can do more things on both ends than anybody that, that they're going to you know plug into to replace him. Um, you know, Hill was was really good down the stretch for them, which maybe wasn't as noticed because, I mean, they, you know, it's not like the, the playoff, the, the last month, the two of the season was really that like critical for the Bucs. Um, but in the playoffs, I mean, especially that Boston series, you know, after that game one loss, he was a huge part of, you know, especially when they went into Boston of, of playing at a really high level and turning the tables on on Boston, ironically, in the similar way as, as the Raptors ultimately did them in, in the second round. So, um, so yeah, it's 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 definitely, uh, you know, a situation where it's funny, right, to think a couple of years ago, this Bucks team was, oh, there's this young team and they got all these young guys, you know, Jabari and Giannis. And, and now it's like, you know, it's basically Giannis and a bunch of kind of older guys and then like a few, you know, younger guys who I'm sure we'll talk about in, in a little bit um, who are kind of more like those, like, can they can they kind of crack rotation spots? But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely very much at this point, you know, Giannis and um, some some players who there's a lot of continuity on this team. You know, the, the changes were pretty, pretty much Brogdon and some some stuff around the margins and um, definitely going to be interesting to see kind of what that means for them as, as kind of they move forward because, you know, again, you look back at that Raptor series, I think losing a Brogdon and the fact that he could create you know, at least up until that series, he was able to you know be a guy that could put it on the floor and get to the rim and finish. Um, you lose a guy like that and replace him with some three-point shooters. There's some upside to that, especially given the way the Raptors sealed off the paint against the Bucks, including Giannis. Um, but you know, again, ultimately, I think at that level, it's all about like you know how many you know are your five best guys better than their best five guys. And I think certainly if you look at the Bucks' best five players now, um, you know, just the, the guys that are there, you lose Brogdon or replace him with George Hill or whatever. That's worse than than certainly uh, what you had last year. So, um, so yeah, it's it's I'd say in some ways worse for sure. Uh, overall talent level, I think, is worse. Can't can't fight. You know, anything. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but we'll see as well. You know, they did pick up the first round pick. I, I mean, that's the sil- the silver lining of losing Brogdon. I viewed that as more of a yeah. binary thing. Like they either resign him or he walks. And the fact that they got something for him is interesting because now they at least have some dry powder that they yeah. could use during the season to, to add something. Uh, but we'll uh, see. And, and that wasn't a good contract. I don't think. You know, I think no. Brogdon is. Is going to be overpaid. I think you just a normal organization would blanch at that a, a little bit. But you know, we may see worse next summer with with the ugly free agent class. But it's uh, you know, to to get that pick. I mean, Danny was a little harsher on their offseason than me. I. I th- I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt and not just brand them automatically as tax shirkers, although there certainly is plenty of in, uh, information that would indicate that despite their publicly financed arena over the years. Uh, but, you know, let's see what they do with that first round pick in the second and, and can they improve the team uh, when it really gets, uh, when it really counts uh, over the next couple of years. And I agree with you. I think their main problem, number one, was creation in the half court and that they just didn't have and we talked about this before the season that this isn't a team that had a bunch of different ways to play necessarily um you know they spaced the floor around Giannis that was mostly what they did maybe Brogdon could provide a little penetration Bledsoe could provide a little penetration as secondary guys and you know when that didn't work they didn't have anywhere else to go to and 
you know, I think if anything, they've doubled down and that weakness is exacerbated now with the absence of Brogdon, who maybe could have taken a step forward a little bit in in that area. You know, I think defensively, they're still going to be very, very good uh, as well. But uh, to me, I think the greater issue is that the competition in the East just isn't as good. I mean, Boston for, you know, seemed like a good matchup against them. They dispensed with them. You know, yeah, Kyrie had one foot out the door, but that was still a pretty darn talented team last year. And obviously Philly and Toronto in the other bracket. Now it's basically looks like it's just going to be Philly unless someone else makes a Bucks-esque leap this year that we're not anticipating so i'm uh and maybe boston could make a trade to get into it by the end uh, with some of their talent but i i think really philly is uh the lumbering elephant in the room in the east how do you think this team matches up with philly yeah it's it's i mean i, mean, I would agree right i mean philly is the obvious team that that you would look at um as far as the other kind of you know so say at this point at least real contender right i mean i think boston just not you know not, i mean Ky- Kyrie from for kemba is probably the the, the, the least of their issues just looking at their depth chart um, yeah. especially up front you know I mean you just think about what they were able to do defensively at times with with Horford and now it's you know Ennis Cantor right <laughs> hey yeah uh, now the, now you can get defensive centers and they have the right. assets maybe that'll happen but I, I think you know I want to speculate there but but Philly to me seems like you know they I think that series if it happens is going to be an absolute defensive bloodbath because Embiid has guarded Giannis relatively well in the past maybe you, you disagree on that and horford might be outside of Kawhi, uh, be the guy who had given him the most trouble uh, at various points I, I think the the philly philly's defense against Giannis was absolutely fascinating last year because i 100 percent agree if if your question is who one-on-one can defend Giannis and make life really difficult and try to prevent him from doing the kind of things that he wants to do i mean horford people always talk about horford but i mean Embiid. i think i mean when you watch him defend Giannis. Um, um, I think it's really says volumes about how just big and athletic and, and physically gifted, you know, Joel yeah. is. Um, and I think they'll match up with Embiid on Giannis and probably put Horford on Lopez would be my guess. I, I'm fascinated to see kind of what they do there um, because I, I agree. I mean, Embiid obviously as good as Horford is. Embiid is, is the guy you would want closer to the basket, right? Uh, and obviously with Giannis, you can afford to do that more often. But I mean, it's fascinating. You look at what Giannis did against kind of these elite shot blocking big men um the last two games against philly last year he put up 52 and 45 points <laughs> with joel defending him yeah. for, for parts but it, the real issue was not that joel can't stop him. i mean that's not the issue he can make life really difficult on joel on on Giannis. it's that how does joel Embiid run up and down the court <laughs> for 40 minutes or 35 minutes or whatever trying to keep yeah. up with Giannis, and then you just move him around the court how do you make because right, i remember Giannis in those games Embiid actually was doing okay and yeah. then he would just killing the other you know mike scott or tobias harris or or, whoever the backup center was who was trying boban they had on him for a while like that was just not going to work yeah, and, and Giannis did hit some jump shots too, which maybe he's not going to hit in, in other games. Because um, Joel was, there was no illusion that Joel was obviously going to defend him, you know, 25 feet from the basket. Like he was going to just let him shoot threes if he wanted him. And he, and he hit some. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it just underscores how critical it is to defend Giannis as a team, right? And I think one thing that's lost a little bit in the Raptors series last year is, you know, a lot, I think a lot of kind of the simple narrative was, well, they put Kawhi on Giannis and then Giannis couldn't score. But to me, it was really about just really, again, the 
team defense that they put. And Kawhi kind of handled the part that Kawhi can handle well, which is, you know, you're not going to be able to just blow by Kawhi. Um, and then, and he's got the great hands and he can poke the ball away. And he's obviously strong enough, you know, that, that Giannis can't just completely overwhelm him. Um, but just the way that they were able to help and come at him in waves, I mean, that's what they did in game one of that Boston series as well, where he had all those struggles. Horford was great, but, you know, it was the help. And, you know, if you, you know, if Giannis isn't getting a, a good whistle, then yeah, you can slow Giannis down. And, and again, if the Bucks don't make shots around him, then then that's obviously a, a big formula. So I'm I'm absolutely with you, 100 um, percent interested in seeing kind of how Philly matches up, um, given just how big they are. Um, I've I've been surprised how much Simmons has not looked just physically able to slow Giannis down. I mean, you know, the obviously the you know he's an effing baby play is, is the one that kind of jumps out, but but yeah. just in general, it, it's interesting that as big as Simmons is, and and you know he not as as talented as he is physically um it's it's interesting how like you know i mean i was super impressed by the way he was able to fend smaller guys like like russell on the perimeter in the playoffs last year but then you see him and at times against guys who are more his size and, and maybe against you know a freak like Giannis, it maybe isn't there but but again if ben simmons is you know your third option defensively against Giannis, like that's that's pretty yeah. good so um so absolutely the uh, i think the sixes are, are fascinating uh the flip side being though i mean if you're playing horford and mb together um you know we know the bucks the thing the Bucks are willing to do is give up kind of spot up threes and again you know usually to big men and again you know with Philly and the lack of spacing that at least nominally they seem to have you know not having kind of those killer three-point shooters um I'm I'm definitely interested to see just like how that kind of shakes out yeah. offensively for them and, and that's why I think it's going to be a, a defensive bloodbath uh, there as well um you know I think Giannis can very is a really good matchup against Horford Lopez has a lot of size against Embiid so you know I mean like Lopez's size is just a, such an underrated aspect uh, of his game. I mean, because you think of it as this outside shooting center, but he's just a mountain at the room. You know, we saw that in some of those Houston games yeah. in the regular season. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I would probably favor the Bucks. I think the Bucks uh, aren't going to have the as many health issues you know that the, there's nobody on this team you look at as really a huge injury risk right now whereas philly uh, has the, those omnipresent issues uh, with Embiid, and but i could see it very much getting into being you know a seven gamer but i would expect the bucks to have a home court advantage uh and i probably would pick them to have the best record in the nba we might be a little early uh, for predictions all right let's take a quick break here and uh we'll talk more about this buck season and uh how they're likely to be different from last year right after this so Masterclass gives you just an unbelievable opportunity to explore whatever you are passionately curious about my wife actually before they even came on as a sponsor started doing margaret atwood's class that she's really been enjoying on writing i can't say that i have taken steph curry's class but i have watched it uh because i'm too broken and injured to play basketball but i wish i had had his class back when i wasn't because i would be a much better shooter and you can also learn tennis from serena williams They've got classes on everything, game design, basketball, French pastry, fundamentals. There's over 60 classes now. New ones are added all the time. And they're just about 10 or 15 minutes long. So you can explore them in whatever order you'd like. It's not too much to, to bite off. Obviously, you know, we, we all have busy lives. Uh, and they offer this annual membership where you can get this all-access pass. And you're offering $30 off your first year of the all-access pass at masterclass.com slash capspace. And you got nothing to lose because they offer a 30-day money-back guarantee when you sign up for the annual membership. And I think it, you'll just find as you start getting into these classes that there's no way you're going to want 
to get that money back guarantee because you're just going to be so into it and it's well worth it just the the amount of content that's uh, available with that all access pass is ridiculous so once again that's masterclass.com slash cap space for unlimited access to masterclass at $30 off masterclass.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right so back here with frank who do you see uh as a player who can get markedly better or some players who can get markedly better on this team and how do they do it well i i really hope uh playoff eric bledsoe would would lead, <laughs> would lead that list. um you know it, it is funny because as, as i was kind of going over you know the the usual questions about who can get better you know who's likely to get worse uh you know you could put playoff bledsoe as as likely to get better because i don't know how he can get worse especially what we saw against uh against uh toronto uh, but you could also put him as likely to get worse from a regular season perspective. Um, I think. Uh, how so? Well, I mean, I, again, he didn't shoot. Um, he didn't shoot great from th- from three last year. Um, but I think what we saw last year from him, I mean, kind of get got buried a bit. I mean, but you know, all defensive first team. Um, I think his engagement at the defensive level was kind of what we'd been really hoping to see from Eric Bledsoe for for a long time. Um, yeah. Wasn't always there under Jason Kidd. Obviously, the Phoenix years. You know, understandably, he kind of probably lost interest um, and was more of a spot picker uh in in terms of defensively there and, and just you know the spacing around you know it, we always think of the buck spacing as, as helping Giannis, but um you know bledsoe i think was the guy that that probably benefited at, you know the, the second most from that and just in terms of being able to use his athleticism you know he doesn't want to you know shoot a ton of threes um he cut down on his you know long twos and and really kind of focus on on getting to the rim and and just you know playing it at you know a really high level i mean you know he's at 58 percent on on twos um last year um which you know again like given he doesn't you know maybe take a ton of threes um i thought you know it, it just really contributed to, to his, I, his i thought he was playing at, at you know granted this is the eastern conference and they had a bunch of injuries but i i thought he would have been a better all-star pick than d'angelo russell uh, at the time certainly you know yeah. he, again he failed it in the playoffs but he did have a, a good regular season i thought bud really helped him uh with some of those defensive discipline issues and and cleaning up some of the flotsam in his offensive game yeah i mean i, I think um there was a very reasonable case that bledsoe might have been a more deserving all-star than chris middleton last year when 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 middleton got the nod there and again i mean i don't i definitely think chris middleton's a more important player long term um but in terms of like you know especially regular season wise who who has you know uh middleton had especially early last season like had his bobbles he had the benching in new york had some struggles you know just kind of i think figuring out like where he was supposed to be in the offense um but really picked it up kind of as the season went on but um i think kind of get banning back to your question about who's likely to get better i mean you know every year we have this conversation every year it's like well what is Giannis going to do to get better this year and the irony is we always we always focus on his jump shot is like is that going to get better and it never really does but he still improves by, by leaps and bounds and you know finds some way to reach a new new level uh seemingly every year so I think Giannis is always the most interesting guy to kind of look at um you know again obviously there there's upside for him from a three-point shooting perspective uh I mean he didn't sh- I mean he shot worse last year from three and from the foul line than he did the year before um yeah. so it's it's not like he's you know uh, okay and has been a little bit better and, and now it's like can he get really good I mean there's still the question of can he get to even like 
sort of passable <laughs> from three. Um, and, yeah. you know, he got better as the year went on. But, um, you know, again, it's it's still like a, I, I think it's one of those things like, you know, this year the upside might be might be low 30s. I'm, I'm slowly losing hope of anything beyond that. Um, but, yeah. You know, it, it's really a constraint play uh, for yeah. him, right? I mean, it's just, can he hit enough if you are leaving him butt ass wide open to make guys come out and guard him and open up the rest of the game? And also that's huge for taking away this strategy of putting the center on him which we saw more and more and is clearly the most effective way of dealing with things if you're if your center has to guard him all the way at the three-point line now he's going to be able to blow by that guy right he, you know Giannis doesn't have that much shiftiness I mean he's got the euro steps but if your center is just going to stand right under the rim and wait for him to get there and try to put his chest on him so he doesn't get dunked on that's the the way to defend him even being able to pull up for a 17 footer wide open would be something and you know you, you said he didn't shoot as well statistically that's true he's 31 percent two years ago 26 percent last year but took 2.8 a game last year and after i think he started five of 50 you know yeah, i, I did yeah i did a little research on you know what so the worst three-point shooting seasons of all time were with even that level of volume and he was like right there as of that time um but so he hit 33 percent basically after that five out of 50 start and had some games as you mentioned that philly game where you know it, it really did start being a problem for the opposition so just a little baby steps and then the free throws you mentioned too you know just hitting if he could just get to like you know 77 percent instead of you know in the low 70s high 60s type of range uh that i think would would be huge as well so i don't think it's going to take that much uh for him with the jumper i think he's pretty close and when you when you see him in warm-ups or you see him uh doing any kind of drills you know he does knock them down pretty well it's just kind of labored and, and i think he's still in his head maybe going back to those jason kids days where they're like no you can't take any threes uh so i think it could happen for him this year i do think that just he, he's on the cusp of having it matter enough not necessarily like oh he's going to score so many more points a game because he's now making 35 percent of his threes instead of 30 percent, but just making the other team defend him differently or with a different player i think it can happen yeah and to to the point of the improvement too in the playoffs 15 games four threes per per game attempted and 33 percent. so you know again even in the toronto series when i mean his free throws his struggles from the free throw line were a big issue and you know he just kind of seemed at a loss at times to kind of figure out how to get um, his offense going he still hit a reasonable amount of threes which is obviously kind of a, a really good pressure release valve for him um, and again it's it's funny when you watch him I mean people who maybe don't watch tons of bucks games um, you know he's not really a spot up guy he, he's, he still doesn't look at all comfortable doing that but he's kind of developed this like rhythm kind of feel jumper where he'll he'll dribble with his left hand it usually likes to prefer I think the left wing a bit more um, and it's not even like he's way you know there's games like the the Embiid games where he's just like literally wide open he's just like all right well i guess i have to shoot this um but a lot of times like he just sort of you I, I, if you watch enough bucks games you can you can tell when he's going to shoot a three-pointer and it doesn't really matter if the guy is you know sort of defending him or not um he kind of just gets a feel with his left hand and then pulls up um a lot of times from that left wing for for a three and he, he looks often actually reasonably comfortable doing that um but but it is interesting because you think of it more of like especially early in his career it was like oh can he become like a good a, a respectable spot-up shooter and now it's more like well he's gonna have the ball in his hands so it's like you know again 
again, if yeah, as you're saying, if if guys are just like hanging way off him, you know, does he have the confidence and consistency to knock that that shot down? And, and again, sometimes he misses badly. Sometimes his mechanics kind of stray a little bit. Um, but again, I think a lot of it at this point, same with free throws, is just kind of mental. So we'll we'll have to kind of see um, kind of if that changes. And um, I, I think you know, just getting back to like who else can improve, we can probably maybe cover like the young guys. Um, I think I know. Yeah, yeah, quickly. Sure. So how to pause? Put those guys on on maybe for for later. Yeah. No, I I, I mean Connaughton for all of his aggressiveness is only 33% from downtown. Uh, they don't have Tony Snell anymore, who was a reliable three-point option, even though if, even if that's all that he did. Um, and it, DJ Wilson is another one, although I think there's concern in uh, Bucks Twitter, a, a certain mutual acquaintance of ours uh, on Bucks Twitter <laughs> in, in particular, uh, that DJ you know wasn't playing enough in the playoffs. I, I didn't see him as quite the panacea there. But uh, you know, he, it, what does he need to do to force his way into to a rotational role because now you know playing him at backup center him and Giannis together doesn't seem like with the acquisition of Robin Lopez something that's going to happen at some yeah I mean I think you kind of read between the lines or not even read between the lines just read the lines of, of John Horst's comments this summer I mean it, it seems like their their idea as far as the front office goes is you know they signed Robin Lopez to be the backup center and uh, whereas last year especially um, you know after the kind of uh, maybe third of the way through the season they, they traded John Henson um, and Thon maker eventually leaves as well um you know down the stretch i mean they, they basically played lopez and a bunch of power forwards at the big spots and um so i think that was kind of the assumption going into the regular season you know you hopefully bring back brooke lopez you've got Giannis, and then you know Ilya silva and and dj wilson are kind of floating around as, as the bench big men but obviously you bring in robin lopez um that doesn't you know it seems like the intent is there to play him um you know minutes every night uh, backing up his brother and so we'll see what that means for for dj wilson i mean you know ursa oftentimes will have kind of random injuries and again as as much as he is uh, once again dominating <laughs> in international play for turkey as team usa found out the other day i mean you know he's uh going on what uh i think he's 32 now possibly 35 if uh his passport <laughs> maybe uh is is a little bit generous um but i mean to his credit he's sort of the same guy every year you know i was looking at his numbers i mean his kind of some of his efficiency stuff dropped off a little bit but like his kind of percentages his per minute rebound rates all that stuff like has stayed remarkably consistent um, over the years and probably most importantly you know he has Mike Budenholzer's confidence um, and I think you know to Ersan's credit as well I really worried that especially against a team like Toronto like he would get exposed by the likes of like a Pascal Siakam um, and it, you know with the exception of here and there like it, it, it like I don't I, look... I kind of thought that he did I, I I thought that that matchup was not a good one for them but it, I but, agree uh... it's, it's not a good one but I, I don't it wasn't like I, I didn't come away from that series feeling like oh Ersan was unplayable and you know therefore that's why the Bucks. that was a huge part of why the Bucks lost or something like that i mean i thought you know he had yeah. one really good game and um you know again there was a long list of, of bigger issues than than ursan playing so yeah. i think that i think the challenge for dj is just you know you have to beat out ursan pretty much i mean it's, i think it's pretty straightforward i mean we may see you know we, we we saw bud go to kind of jumbo lineups with Giannis at three um probably more than i expected last year especially after they they traded for nikola miritich um yeah. and we'll so we'll see i don't think that's will be like a huge part of the equation um so i mean again i think it's just wilson having to be a really consistent you know worker defender practice player um and then offensively i think again it's just you know he's never going to do a lot with the ball um he's got to hit hit shots and i think it's just a lot of it's just professionalism and i think maybe he kind of lost some focus late in the year when he kind of lost his rotation spot and you know again um on a team like this there's there's just not a lot of leash that you're going to get especially with the crowded front court they have so i'm sure he'll get chances yeah. this season but um again he's going to have to you know take them and to his credit i mean i thought i, I was ready to you know 
kick kick dirt on his grave after you know one season of you know complete disappointment last uh, the previous yeah, year. Me too. And he he really I think showed a lot last year, and um, I think especially defensively, just the way he worked, um, you know, and and knocking down, being able to at least knock down threes when he was open. Um, you know, again, I don't think he has high upside. Um, I think he's a very interesting defensively, but um, you know, again, he's still a young guy, and uh, again, with with a lot of older players on this team, certainly he's a guy who, if he can kind of take his game to the next level, and a lot of that's consistency, that that would obviously be very big. I don't think he matters as much as he might have last year if they had to play the Warriors. It, the appeal of him is the athleticism and the switching ability in the front court with Giannis and you know or maybe he he's a a backup power forward playing next to Robin Lopez at, at times to give a little more defensive versatility than Ilyasova but there isn't that team out there like the Warriors maybe somebody in the West could evolve into that maybe if it's the the Clippers uh as a team where you just oh man we got to just switch everything but I you know I don't see that team that that just makes you change your whole defense the way the Warriors did last year Houston you might think would be one but the Bucks have had great success defending them in the conventional style Robin Lopez seems like going up against Joel Embiid would be a, a pretty good uh foil for him and to give them 48 minutes of that big Lopez twin defending the rim which I think was important uh but I think he's actually in his career been a really secretly crappy post defender <laughs> like Blazers fans will remember him just getting completely destroyed in the post by Dwight Howard in the 2014 playoffs uh, there's been other times where I mean he's huge but he just for whatever reason doesn't defend the post very well so that that might be just a little weakness uh if they have to double Joel Embiid the, that could change things uh, in the playoffs but I think against most teams playing that conservative style uh, Lopez can be good and the, uh, Robin Lopez can be good and then the the talk is well let's see if Robin can stretch it out to three the way his brother did a, a couple of years ago certainly he's uh he's talking a good game and uh at least the comedy around the box uh, will be improved <laughs> this year so there's that yeah I, I i mean robin's interesting i've always liked him um i mean obviously just as like a, a person i think he's a pro you know i don't think you worry at all about putting him in this locker room even if his brother wasn't there maybe you worry more just with the zaniness uh, of, of two lopez brothers but um you know i think he's going to be a, a fun guy to have on the team and um again as you said i mean it, it, it's amazing kind of how things sort of swing you know trend wise right i mean you know we went from the death of the big man to uh you know in the east uh well who's guarding joel Embiid and oh now they have Al Horford too so now you've got 48 minutes of you know Horford and, and Embiid and you know in the west you know Nikola Jokic is a guy that you know again is is maybe the guy that's going to bleed his team out of, out of the west you know and, and you've got obviously kind of big men that um, you know Anthony Davis etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh, so it's, it's just funny how kind of cyclical these these things are and you know s- switching and going small is is a thing that everybody feels like you have to do um, yeah. certainly a year ago I was kind of curious you know like how much of the Bucks are the Bucks going to have issues because Bud wants to play this conservative style but you know ultimately uh, you know i mean at times they, they they needed to do it at times they did it um with actually some success even though i don't think they necessarily were thrilled about it um but uh but yeah i mean i think this team i think they can play different styles you know as you mentioned i mean even though if they do have the lopez brothers um they can give some different looks given some of the other bigs that they have and, and of course Giannis. but um I, I would say certainly especially in the regular season i'd agree i mean it's it's probably going to be a lot of you know traditional kind of kind of lineups and um yeah i mean robin i think like his rp numbers some of the stuff sort of maybe underscores that he's not quite the defender that you know sort of the, the you know it's ironic that, that it was always like oh robin's the defensive uh, lopez brother and brooke is the offensive one and now it's like yeah uh, i think robin brooks just sort of 
of both uh, is best at both of those things. I mean, Brooke had a tremendous defensive year, and again, a lot of that I think was just putting him in a great position to succeed, asking him to do things he could do. And obviously, you know, you hope maybe that'll have the same effect on Robin. How do you see? Uh, well, so let's just talk about the rotation in general. Uh, Bledsoe, Wes Matthews, Middleton, Giannis, Lopez. You, you agree that projects as the starting five? Yeah, it, it seemed like. I mean, again, Matthews obviously, uh, you know, more by default than anything. Um, certainly, uh, you know, he, he's obviously a guy who has a lot of limitations, but at least sort of as the the role playing uh, starter and and kind of floor stretcher at the two, that seems like the best guess. But I think certainly, um, you know, that's the spot. That's the obvious spot where yeah, we need to. And they clearly told him he's going to start, or, or he wouldn't be here. I don't think either. It seemed like that was very important to him when he decided to go to Indiana last year, and you know, ma- makes sense uh, and, and certainly great value for him. One plus one at the minimum for a guy who's not going to get trucked defensively and it can still hit an open three, even if the rest of his game it, it is kind of limited. And you know, they probably don't get him uh, if Malcolm Brogdon is still on the team. I, I would imagine. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so so backup wing though is interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously Thanasis and Kupo is mean the first wing off the. <laughs> Uh, so you've got Sterling Brown, Kyle Korver, Pat Connaughton, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, who is he healthy? What's the story with, with him real quick? Uh, as far as health, he didn't play in summer league still because he was injured, right? You know, John Horst sort of tried to downplay that the injury was the reason for it, but I've just generally had a very uneasy feeling about his situation just from a health perspective. You know, he had, um, you know, the, these kind of foot issues, uh, heel issues that, you know, he came back from. And then uh, I think it was early mid March, he played, came back for a couple games and basically basically re-injured and disappeared for the rest of the season and um you know nobody as you said didn't play in summer league uh there was i i read a report about a basketball camp he did i believe in delaware where of course he's from where it was claimed that he's 100 percent ready for the season yeah i i'm looking at that right now delaware online reports <laughs> that he says he is he is 100 as of august 22nd my my homepage uh uh for for all news <laughs> uh, of course um so i am still nervous about that and for that reason, um, I, you know, we've had a lot of debates with, um, you know, I do locked on bucks with uh, Eric name. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of debate about, you know, OK, Sterling Brown, uh, Pat Connaughton, Dante Chen's like who are these guys that are actually going to emerge sort of from the pack and actually play um, consistent minutes. And with Dante, I mean, he was the first guy off the bench in the first couple of games last year as a rookie for Mike Budenholzer. I mean, yeah. And, and he was I mean, he didn't hit the three all that well, but right. he was jacking from way out. Yeah. And he's a, I, you know, we talk about energy bigs. I, I think of him as an energy little. Um, <laughs> he, he just kind of like flies around the court. There's just something about him that he has sort of an infectiousness when he's on the court. Like, I don't know, just kind of good things seem to happen. Yeah. He makes athletic plays. If, if he can make shots, I think he can, he can work his way into the rotation. Yeah. It's just a question of, uh, you know, the ball's going to have to go in for him right. from downtown. Right. And Connaughton, as you mentioned, Connaughton had issues with that as well. He didn't play, you know, first couple weeks of season, then he had a chance, played well, and then just couldn't hit shots and pretty much kind of disappeared from the rotation until later in the year and obviously then he had some really really big moments especially against the Celtics in the playoffs so um so I think there's a lot of guys like that who I think you know I think you can look at pretty much everybody that we've discussed and say that guy's probably going to have a 15 to 20 game span where you know unless he's like has horrible injury problems like that guy's probably going to like make real contributions that we're going to say oh wow Sterling Brown's been playing really well or man Corver's had a really nice stretch you know I, I could see all these guys being good enough to kind of have those sorts of moments during the season especially 
especially with injuries, creating opportunities and a lack of an obvious sort of, you know, clear, like quality, you know, uh, you know, 35 minute per game, game uh, guy at, at, uh, at, at shooting guard. Um, but I'm, I'm still, I don't really have a good feel for, you know, is yeah. there, is there really going to be like that 10 man rotation, you know, 10 man rotation, nine man rotation, who's in and who's out. I think a couple guys who are very legit NBA rotation players are probably going to be left out. And, um, I think that's obviously a, a good problem to have in a lot of ways, but, um, you know, Bud managed it really well personality wise last year. And it's a lot of the same guys. So you just hope that, uh, obviously the kind of guys can stay healthy and that, you know, hopefully some of these guys differentiate and the other guys stay ready. Cause at some point, you know, they're probably going to need them. All right. So quickly rank Brown, Corver, Connaughton, DiVincenzo in terms of how many minutes you think they will get in the Bucks. You know, when it's really, you know, second round of the playoffs, third round of the playoffs, and potentially beyond here, when the chips are really down, who's going to be in the rotation uh, among those four guys? Um, I mean, we saw Connaughton last year get real minutes and at times play well. Um, and I think he's, you know, again, I part of me is, is looking at through the lens of who do I think Bud trusts in general. Um, yeah. So I might actually start with Connaughton just because... I, 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 I feel similarly. I don't know that he is the guy... That that I would pick necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Although, like, I got to say, I'm not incredibly, you know, you said, hey, you know, there could be legitimate NBA rotation players. And, you know, a rotation player in the in the regular season is a lot different than in the playoffs. But, you know, I'm not sure I feel that comfortable with any of those guys uh, when it really gets right down to it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you want to certainly start those guys or have them be your first guy off the bench. I think you have a lot of guys, there are a bunch of guys in there who I think you'd be fine with being your maybe ninth or tenth guy. Um, but, you know, again, Again, like you know, West West Matthews starting not great, and any of yeah. those guys. Well, I, I guess it's going to be too. Hill Hill and Bledsoe will just play together a, a lot too. I think we'll see some of that. Yeah, that, that'll help uh, alleviate that if those guys just uh, aren't aren't ready. Yeah, and I mean to me that you know uh, this kind of gets into the idea of you know who's your crunch time lineup. I mean, ironically, the combination of basically the starters you mentioned, but then putting Hill in for Matthews. I mean, to me, that's your best five. Uh, you know, in terms of just like versatility and being able to kind of do the most stuff on both ends um, that I kind of trust the most again assuming Hill is healthy and doesn't kind of you know really kind of begin to age badly this year um, but uh, again I mean that group only played 100 total possessions last year in regular season and, and playoffs combined in large part because obviously Brogdon was was in there as well so um, so it's it's definitely kind of an interesting question and and again because you know I mean I think one strange thing about the roster construction is you know I was expecting them to to bring in a third point guard um, to be kind of that you know I mean, last year they had injuries when Brogdon was hurt. They brought in Tim Frazier to be kind of the you know token third guard who ironically pay, played a 53-minute game and a 48-minute game. <laughs> oh, man. That, that game when they were playing the 2-3 zone against OKC at the end of the year. And a game that actually mattered for OKC hilariously. I actually had to watch that game. That was, that was insane. That, that, was, that was hard to watch. But, um, but interestingly, I mean, they brought in Frank Mason on a two-way and, you know, they end up using the, the last roster spot on Dragon Bender, who is, you know, there's there's not a ton of guaranteed money there, so I, I don't I don't let's say as I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up being released at some point. You know, if they have an injury or if Mason uses up all his his NBA service time and maybe they don't love what he brings them, I could certainly see them kind of making some move there. But 
Uh, but yeah, it's a little interesting because I think certainly playing Hill and Bledsoe together more makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, Hill is is definitely I think your your kind of clear um, sixth man there. He you know is good enough to start, but you need him more coming off the bench um, given the lack of, of other ball handlers. So um, that's kind of one thing I think I'm curious to see as far as like roster moves. Like at some point, do they have to make a move for another ball handler who can who can be you know at least a, a breaking case of emergency point guard? Um, but yeah, I think kind of obviously um, Hill is, is is a key guy there, um, and then you know I think Ursan's definitely going to be in the mix, and you know it's, as we were saying, it's on um, you know DJ Wilson to kind of unseat him, um, you know until until further notice, and then obviously the you know the Robin backing up uh, Brook, and then um, yeah, I mean I think there's definitely a lot of potential churn there uh, on those wing spots, and um, you know I think as we mentioned, Connaughton maybe the guy, especially if he can hit you know 35% rather than you know he was under 30% for a while last year before he kind of finally got it back up over 30%. I mean if if he can uh, I think shoot more consistently then I think he's definitely in that mix and um but but yeah I mean it's tough with Sterling Brown I mean you know he he got real minutes in uh in in the uh, the Detroit series and the start of that Boston series but it just didn't click and and Sterling's been one of those guys who I think he showed actually some nice development towards the end of the year actually being able to put the ball on the floor a bit um finishing with his left hand occasionally running like a second side pick and roll um which were definitely things that we didn't see from him as a rookie um he knocked down corner threes well you know can can again be respectable three-point shooter and I think defensively you love like his tenacity and everything but it just kind of like it feels like he just hasn't really put it together consistently enough kind of like like to be honest as we were saying like a number of these guys and you know again in the playoffs yeah. like do you trust Sterling Brown I think at this point we're gonna have to see definitely more from him and you know coming into his third year obviously um the last year of his rookie deal yeah. it's it's now now's a very important time for him to do that yeah and maybe you know they end up with a, a second round pick for Trevor Ariza type or or you know on the buyout market they get someone like that who would supersede these guys um you know we've, we've hit on a lot of them but any big strengths that you see for this team uh that we uh haven't hit on yet I mean, I think the story's been been told. I'm, uh, you know, a, a lot last year, but I mean, it it really is um, fascinating just how they were able to, you know, just m- evolve stylistically from you know the Jason Kidd area to, to what Bud kind of brought to them. And um, again, I mean, just the domination of the paint on both ends, I think, was such a big story for them. And you know, again, you just look at the rim, especially defensively. You know, they're first in opponent free throw rate, so they didn't give you free, you know basically free free points to the line. They didn't foul. Um, they were first in in limiting opponent shots at the rim. Uh, they went from 40% to 30% uh, in terms of frequency of shots at the rim from you know the last kid year to to last year. They were best in the league at limiting opponent field goal percentage at the rim. Um, allowed the the second highest number of long twos, which obviously is is good from a shot chart percentage. Third in defensive rebounds after being you know just terrible year after year after year uh, during the kid era. So pretty much like all those like kind of key indicators about you know basically saying we're going to take away the rim and we're not going to foul you and we're going to make you you know basically shoot threes to beat us and team shot a lot of threes against them last year i mean it's it's a very clear narrative of, of, of an identity of what they wanted to be defensively and obviously you know Giannis is the most dynamic and the best player on that side of the ball for them but you know you can't say enough about lopez and and just the fact that yeah. he became as you said that mountain that i mean man that first 
game in Houston yeah. when Capella couldn't do anything against him, and um, he was just terrific. And and again, you just hope that as he's now entering his early 30s, that that he can kind of keep that up. And you know, we talk always about their kind of domination with Giannis at the rim, and you know, basically kind of putting the shooters around him. But I think the defensive story last year is kind of gets you know occasionally lost in that a little bit because it, it did. I mean, to me, that's where Bud, you know, a lot of ways won the coach of the year is just the way he was able to completely. I mean, the Bucks were a pretty, you know, they were an above average offense, you know, in general under the last kind of last couple of years, the kid era. Um, but they were always an underachiever defensively. And again, there was a lot of a, a lot of upside to exploit there, given some of the talent on the roster. But to completely make that over and completely, you know, turn around all these things that have been huge weaknesses into strengths, like the rebounding and free throw rate, things like that. Um, you know, I, I think it's just a, a really cool story. And, and obviously, you know, again, I don't think any fundamental reason you can't do that. But again, people also know what they're going to try to do now. And we'll be interested to see how teams kind of try to exploit the maybe their their softness against the uh, the three point shot. Yeah, and I think you know they weren't able to play that way when Lopez was off the floor. And my recollection, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you know they really played well when Lopez was on the floor in that Toronto series, and when he was off, they just were not able to stop Toronto nearly as well. So hopefully, Robin Lopez will provide that same sort of element. Let them play that way for 48 minutes. They also kind of changed up their strategy, did more switching mm. uh, in in the Toronto series. They worked in the Boston series didn't work as well arguably uh, in the Toronto series um the other thing that's awesome for this team obviously is transition especially Giannis on the grab and goes Lopez is a great box out guy Giannis uh, was uh, among the league leaders in defensive rebounds and you know like with Russell Westbrook when Giannis gets that defensive rebound he'll take that first dribble and then if he sees an opening that second dribble when he really starts to accelerate and you're just like oh shit that's like (laughs) breathtaking you you know that something is going to happen there so so that's one and then obviously you know you've got guys fanning out to the three-point line well he pushes the ball and it's really difficult for other teams especially if you can't if you can't get your center back in the lane to guard against Giannis you know he's just going to euro step around any of these smaller guys dunk on him uh so transition is what would come to mind weaknesses for me I would say I, I think just the diversity of the attack offensively we've hit on that a little bit I think passing to me is is a bit of a weakness with this team Bledsoe has never been great at that uh you're not really you don't really have a conventional pick and roll threat especially because you know if you know maybe Giannis can be the role man but if he's not the role man then you know his guy is kind of sloughing into the lane a, a little bit Giannis can't really run a, a pick and roll himself but conventionally maybe you can run it with a smaller guy and get a pick and pop uh you know Middleton is is maybe their best passer um but you know he's he still doesn't you know he's running a pick and roll for a mid-ranger rather than really putting pressure on the paint and drawing the defense so uh, George Hill maybe w- was one of their better pick and roll guys but you know asking him to do that again so really you're they don't really have and for whatever reason you know they didn't iso middleton i don't know if middleton can get it done against the absolute best guys one-on-one you know certainly he kills in the playoffs like smaller guys who are guarding him um so just having you know the crunch time offense you don't really go to Giannis. just the overall diversity of attack offensively pick and roll iso and it's particularly at the end of the game they don't run a lot of really sexy stuff either um you know because maybe they just don't have a lot of versatility that that's my biggest concern with this group yeah i think it's it's one of those things last year i mean to to win 60 games have the best record in the league have this incredible point differential have everything kind of work you know perfectly to the theory of of what probably mike Budenholz 
Budenholzer was hoping, how, how Mike Budenholzer was hoping it would. Um, I think that's one thing I'm, I'm hoping for this year is that, you know, we see them basically be able to say, okay, last year was about building the system, you know, like, and, and that's obviously why, I mean, they didn't, they didn't really switch much for long stretches until kind of later in the year, they got a little more comfortable doing that. I think Bud wanted to kind of really ingrain kind of the core of what they wanted to do. And, um, and so I think it'll be interesting to see, especially offensively. I mean, they looked like they kind of ran out of ideas, you know, against the Raptors. And um, they obviously have talent. You have Giannis, who's, you know, as big a talent as, as you'll find in the league. Um, but you still have to, I think, be smart about how you use him because he, he obviously does still have limitations in what he can do. So um, I think that's an interesting, I think it's a, a definitely a big question, especially, you know, when you think about like, you know, what happens when you are trying to to play at the highest level in the playoffs and the you know conference finals, NBA finals. Um, you know, what do they do? What does Mike Budenholzer have? You know, how do, I think Bud, you know, I think had some great moments against the Celtics, um, addressing some of the kind of longstanding concerns about his coaching style. Um, but then obviously against the Raptors, um, maybe not for lack of trying some different things, especially. Yeah, I, I mean, that was but, the criticism, right? That he was too rigid, yeah. you know, back with the Hawks, Cleveland would just, you know, eat up uh, his double teams at the point of attack and hit a million threes on him. He, he really did try to change up and maybe he went too far in that yeah. direction. Even. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, again, it, it'll just be interesting to see. I mean, it's like, you know, doubling Giannis in the post, the Bucks just seem to have no way of exploiting that, you know, against Toronto. And that's yeah. frustrating. And, and Toronto is one of the greatest defensive teams of all time. You know, they, they, they have guys, Siakam and, and, uh Leonard and Danny Green I mean guys who could double team and get back to the shooters uh you know and really smart guys as well like, like I mean that was a great defensive team but their problem is Philly is going to be I think a similar level of defensive team this year yeah and I think again especially with Giannis I mean um you know some this season may come down to just can you make enough three-pointers in in a playoff series and uh against Toronto that was a consistent problem they they just did not have you know you kept waiting for them to have um in, during in those four losses you kept waiting for them to have like the night where they kind of just shot the lights out and just didn't happen and Toronto obviously got some 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 good shooting performances from some guys maybe some poor shooting performances from other guys but um you know Toronto ultimately did what what had to be done in the just couldn't quite figure it out even even after a season in which they kind of you know i think maybe were a bit shell-shocked because they always did figure it out you know they didn't they didn't lose consecutive games other than that one time during the regular season so um so it'll be interesting to see um and and again you know i think weakness wise as well um you know you mentioned just the kind of relative strength of the east and and kind of just around the league um you know i think last year you would have said well they don't have kind of that like second or third sort of superstar type perennial all-star type guy that's that's a concern you know interestingly now it's seems like everybody just has more of of all-star duos kind of more um or at least you know nobody has more than like two top 10-ish players it seems at this point at least healthy um yeah well i mean that yeah that's a massive historical aberration when i mean there's been probably four teams in nba history that had a team like that you know i think we kind of gotten used to it with miami and then golden state but uh you know that's and and even golden state arguably you know didn't have three top 10 guys although they probably had four top 20 guys but but anyway yeah it's uh yeah i mean if you want to say a strength is everyone else's weakness you know, maybe maybe that's it right yeah yeah and and i think the main thing is my concern is just like okay you know middleton i'm less concerned about but just like you know middleton bledsoe lopez um brogdon is obviously gone i mean those guys on any given night those guys played like second bananas where you had two guys that are really performing at high levels and you know again are all those guys gonna you know brogdon's already gone or and are those rest of those guys can they step up maybe fill some of that void or at least maintain the high level of play we saw last year you know, again, those guys are not getting better given where they are in their aging curve. So, um, you know, again, I don't know if I'd say that's a weakness per se, 
but it's definitely something to kind of watch out for. And, and again, as you know, as we get into like upside and downside scenarios, that that, that kind of stuff always kind of comes into mind, right? Because it's easy to just anchor on what happened last year and just assume you know everything is going to continue and maybe just slight changes here and there. But again, you never know with guys aging, like when somebody just might take a major step backwards. Yeah, and Lopez had his best. Well, I don't know. I mean, he he was a big scorer earlier in his career, but I, I would say probably his best season uh, last year, and, and maybe you could say that Bledsoe did as well. And both those guys are kind of at the point where uh, it could fall off, and Hill certainly would be hard-pressed to repeat his playoff performance from last year. And I agree with your, you know, the overall talent on this team, it does all fit together really, really well. But if you want to say... You know, certainly Giannis has been better than Embiid, but aside and Embiid, you know, is, is a worry to be healthy in the playoffs as he wasn't last year. But certainly, you'd have to say that Philly has more overall talents to me that, than this Bucks team. But the Bucks fit together to me much, much better, at least uh, offensively, than Philly does. So uh, let's uh, let's do it here. Uh, I will go first with the predicted record. They were one sixty a year ago. We're right about that in terms of their point differential. I'm going to go with fifty eight wins for this group uh, this year and i i would expect them I, I haven't really gone through it on philly yet but i i'd expect them to win the regular season eastern conference comfortably yeah and and you know in previous years we've joked about you know both myself and and our friend jeremy schmidt who previously uh did did these bucks previews how we have historically always you know sort of been the the pessimists the uh you know eors of uh yeah. of nba predictors where we always sort of take the under and whatever last year i did take the over but um i, I i'm thinking like mid 50s this year um again not that you know there wasn't anything fluky last year in terms of like point differential i think they were point differentials like 62 wins expected something like that um yeah. so i mean they were legit right i mean that that was like a near sort of historic level point differential when you think about kind of where they were relative to a lot of great teams um so again i'm not concerned that like something about it was was fake last year but again uh you know we'll, we'll see kind of this year um i i, I think you know i i think i put down a you know maybe 55 56 wins something more on that all right right, you you got it you got to pick a hard number here my man we'll go 55 um and again you know last year very good health other than you know brogdon always kind of picks up some injury so kind of builds in maybe a little bit more room for for some injuries and and again maybe one of their kind of key players has a bit more of a down year relative to kind of what happened last year and and partly too just i mean they're not going to sneak up on anybody this year um i think you know again um a lot of what they do is not necessarily like easily uh scheme away i mean you know it's not like you can just make you know say oh let's just do what the raptors did and we'll stop Giannis, right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you you need a shitload of talent <laughs> yeah. to, to pull off just i mean they they could just line up and hit you in the mouth with the honest i mean like a team that's just running the ball in football and then you know they, they have enough threats to uh, open up enough three-pointers uh, and the transition game i mean you know 95 percent of the teams in the league are gonna have trouble stopping that right and and they have you know again as much as they obviously they lose brogdon um you know you bring in matthews you bring in corver um uh, they have obviously a lot of shooters i mean they have you know again i think with corver and matthews are particularly interesting just because i mean those guys are they will bomb from way out corver obviously is just dynamic even at his age still you know in terms of like he doesn't it's not like he needs to be wide open he doesn't need his feet set um 
he's a guy obviously that that obviously is gonna do a jack up three so as you were alluding to well they, they kind of are like more extreme than ever in terms of like Giannis plus shooters um so I think again on uh, in a regular season you know Tuesday night in January Kyle Korver's probably not getting played off the court Wes Matthews can probably play 25 minutes and you know not be exploited or, or whatever right I mean like they'll, they'll be fine and and I think they're gonna you know be be really tough you know just with that basic formula it's it's you know won you 60 games last year I think it's gonna win you a lot of games this year but again I think also you know this year last year it was about establishing themselves the regular season was really important um they st- I mean Giannis didn't play a ton of minutes last year I think is in aggregate he played around the same minutes number of minutes as he did the previous year when he played two fewer rounds in the playoffs um but again I think this year as well you know again the kind of the teams mature I think the regular season won't be quite as important for them because again they're going to want to manage you know those those aging players a little bit more probably in the regular season and, and keep an eye on on the playoffs so probably again yeah. more DNP rest and, and they may not even have pressure behind them either yeah. as, as far as getting the, the number one seed best case scenario for me and and you know again this is kind of you know what what you would expect them to be kind of with with their point differential ultimately you know i mean like trying to figure out what their luck is going to be in close games that you could you could take this number and you could add four wins to it uh and subtract four from the worst case scenario but you know it started just like what the quality of this team can be if everything goes right i think it could be 65 wins i mean this is just you know they were 60 last year you met 62 point differential i mean they're Giannis could take even that much more of a step forward and you know they could just like completely run through uh the entire league i think that's totally a possibility with this group yeah i, I had 64 wins and an nba title right i mean that's that's NBA yeah. titles obviously kind of goes without saying that's that's the goal and um certainly getting into that like low to mid 60s i mean hardly a stretch given kind of where they were last year and the fact that um at least in terms of i think regular season talent and kind of you know being a proven system in a, in a league and in a conference in particular where um a lot of questions when you look around at, at other teams and you know even Philly being I think the clear other team in the east you know we haven't seen this group do it together right I mean Jimmy Butler was really important to, to Philly especially in the playoffs when, yeah yeah when I mean you want to talk out. about the Bucks not having a pick and roll threat obviously yeah. that's uh it's yeah. an issue for for Philly as well yeah so so I think you know again like the Bucks are kind of that like safe bet right now um in terms of uh just you know you kind of know what they are whereas a lot of these other teams I think um Clippers Lakers you know whoever else you want to talk about lots of teams that have one well, lots but definitely a number of teams that have some really intriguing combinations of talent who you know maybe there's they're you know absolutely there's a re- I, I totally get why the Clippers might be favorites over the Bucks you know in Vegas right now but again I think easier to kind of figure out especially from a regular season perspective you know what the Bucks are and, and what the Bucks will be worst case scenario you know I'd say a 50 two wins uh and again that's you know normal injuries obviously if Giannis misses half the year it, that changes quite a bit but yeah I really don't see them below there um you know certainly there's a concern that a team that takes a massive step forward uh, is a candidate uh, for taking a step back but I think with the coaching change with uh, the efficacy of their system that's been demonstrated it's hard for me to see them much below that level yeah I had so I, I was um here's my uh, longtime Bucks fan uh paranoia coming in I had them worst case at at 48 wins in a second round loss um I think again like I'm I'm not expecting that I would be very very surprised if that happens but um again i think t- for that to happen yeah i mean well the second round loss 
could happen if you know yeah. what if they just have to play philly in the second right round, the second know, round losses that, that's yeah yeah, that, yeah that's that's not uh, that unrealistic that you know that again small samples yeah. but um but i think you know i would look at their guard situation as being kind of like the the the, the link that could kind of really set them back in, in that kind of that downside scenario like what again i don't think bledsoe is going to be what we saw against the raptors during the regular season but like again what if he has a down year if his shooting takes a, a step back and um again like yeah. a guy who i think mentally like you kind of worry like does he kind of like just fade in and out loses confidence um yeah. if he if so, he isn't so much of what they do is built on having those four three-point shooters mm-hmm. around Giannis. if he doesn't need to be guarded out there which was the case in the raptors series it much changes yeah absolutely and you can only run so much you know Giannis and bledsoe inverted pick and roll <laughs> to try yeah. to paper over that um so so yeah there's there's only some downside scenarios and and again some of these older guys like does can you know brooke lopez you know if brooke lopez is the guy we thought he was going into last year then you're probably not going to win 60 some games obviously he really fit well with the system and you assume that will continue but um again you know he's he's getting a little bit older um guys like him if they're battling injuries or you know if he just his shooting goes south and he shoots 30 percent rather than 35 percent you know again that stuff might really you know that stuff can certainly matter all right uh what is your prediction i, I should have asked you this earlier but when you did your win prediction 55 wins what do you have as far as where they're going to end up this season in the playoffs <sighs> That's hard. I mean, I think certainly, like, I'd be very surprised if they don't make the East Finals. I think, I think at this point, it's reasonable to to favor them to to make the finals over Philly, just for the reasons we mentioned, just from like a known quantity perspective. Um, I think Philly just has more room to. I don't want to say implode, but there's just more room for it just to kind of not work um, in a way that that it, it could, right? I think there's absolutely you know scenarios where where Philly works better together, and even if they don't, you know, end up being a better regular season team because of maybe injuries, Horford and Embiid having kind of more. Uh, bodies that require more management. Certainly, like if they're healthy in the playoffs, they could certainly take the Bucks down. But I'd probably shade them to to you know the Bucks to, to make it to the finals. And then um, you know I think of the finals. To be honest, I think it's kind of a you know I'll say a coin flip at that point. I think the Clippers are the team I would look at as as being the, the obvious team to worry about. And obviously, we saw what Kawhi could do against the Bucks and, and everybody else in last year's playoffs. Um, so I think you know the the um, the Bucks homer in me wants obviously to to see the Bucks win a championship in my lifetime, which up until the past year i didn't really entertain seriously um but you know the the um the true bucks fan in me will say they'll fall a, a little bit short in the finals and uh and and not win a title so so i again i maybe i'm just sort of reverse jinxing things a little bit here but um you know again I, we saw last year winning a championship is so hard and so many things kind of have to fall right so i think absolutely there's there's a great chance for that to happen to the bucks but again when you think about it from the percentages the number of other teams you have to go through and the other a number of other teams that have a chance obviously it's hard to say that that's you you know your your expected outcome or you know um that it, it will be a, a huge upset if it doesn't happen so I'll, I'll say they make it to the finals and just fall short but again i'll uh, i'll i'll certainly leave a lot of uh, opportunity for it to be proven wrong so i would pick the bucks as the most likely team to be nba champion both due to the continuity what they demonstrated so far in the regular season going up against i mean i still think that people underrate how good that toronto team was and people are like oh the bucks are this paper tiger like no they went they went up against an absolutely great team one of the best defenses ever and almost beat them uh but I also think that the most likely outcome for the Bucks is that they do, in fact, lose it in the NBA Finals, as you said. I think it, there are some teams in the West, especially because there are so many of those teams that I think one of them is going to emerge to be about as good as the Bucks in the regular season, or certainly in the playoffs. And you know, those teams may have more top-end talent. You pointed to the Clippers. Uh, some of those teams have some holes that they could fill by making 
making deals uh, the Clippers uh, being one of those uh, also so uh, I think that's the most likely outcome is they lose in the finals but they're also my favorite to win the NBA championship just because they have the easier road there and just are it's hard to identify which of those teams in the west is going to really put it all together with so much player movement so that's uh but hopefully that makes sense to say I'm picking them as the NBA champion and I also am picking them to lose in the finals. Yeah, they kind of have like, a you know, again, like a high floor in that regard. Like, you know, again, it's weird to think of your floor uh, in terms of like championship windows. But but again, in terms of like the variance around it, um, you know, they're the, the contender that we we know the most about. And and, you know, really the team that went the furthest um, that actually is like kind of still, you know, st- let's say still relevant. Right. So with apologies to the Blazers, uh, who I think will still be fine. Um, but Blazers, Golden State, Bucks, Raptors, you look at the kind of final. Why do we always say that? Why do we say with apologies to this team that we don't think is actually deserved? Like, why should be, be, be apologizing? I, you know, I don't understand. Hey, Portland, Portland's small market. You know, I don't want to disrespect yeah. the hardcore Blazer fans. I, I, you know, as someone who went to Vegas for so many years, I've always been very impressed. I remember uh, the, I guess it was uh, 2000, 2008 was my first trip to Vegas. And um, that was the, I believe that was the Jared Bayless uh vegas explosion year uh magical oh God. magical time for all of us obviously and yeah, was, was that before or after josh selby uh before <laughs> i think this was well before yeah. and uh i just remember the blazer fans showing out like crazy for i went to one of the games like late uh in in that week and the blazer fans were just going going nuts i mean the lakers are just there in number like your fans just get there in numbers the yeah blazers well, close were there. Too. yeah the blazers yeah. were you know they came from you know presumably oregon i don't know how many vegas, uh you know local blazer fans there but they uh they were really impressive shout out to blazer fans even though i just kind of dissed your team i just gave you a little bit of the kd uh kd on cj mccollum's podcast diss but um but yeah I, uh so, sorry guys <laughs> well that's that's a great way uh, to end on uh where can people keep up uh, with your bucks coverage uh, this year yeah, so um, Locked on Bucks with uh, my friend uh, Eric Name, who's a uh, Bucks beat writer at The Athletic. Uh, so we podcast. At, well, we're not podcasting five days a week right now, um, but certainly uh, we do podcast regularly as uh, as the Locked on Pods are, are want to do. So that's my, my normal place. And then obviously uh, on Twitter at FMaddenMBA. Um, I, I haven't uh, convinced myself that I have anything to con- to to say to the world in kind of a longer form written <laughs> written, written state. So uh, it's uh, tweeting and podcasting and uh, we'll see if i'm you know if i stop being lazy and actually write something sometime soon but uh that's where you find me for now at uh, f madden nba yeah i pretty much reduced to like tweets and bullet points uh, <laughs> at this point as well uh all right thanks man this is great uh really appreciate having you on and uh be uh happy to make an appearance on lockdown bucks uh, should uh should you require absolutely yeah man uh always appreciate it always one of the things i look forward to most this year so uh always good to be back and uh already looking forward to next year nate so we got big news. Danny has joined the fantasy football league that I've been in for a long time. We, we had the draft the other day. It was in this circular conference room at, at uh, the company's one of my buddies works at. It, it was like Dr. Strangelove in there at this conference room. We had video conferencing with the, everyone who couldn't be there. Uh, but so Danny now is going to watch football with us on Sundays, at least probably until the season starts. And then it's really uh, more basketball for us. But we're going to order some Postmates of course as we have done traditionally for years and years when we're watching football uh, over at my buddy's place and the beauty of postmates is you can get anything that you want all the restaurants grocery convenience stores traditional retailers you could possibly need 
24 hours a day 365 days a year especially for football sundays usually on the west coast that ends up being breakfast in the morning great jewish deli called wise sons that we love to get from among many other places via postmates it's your personal food delivery grocery delivery whatever you need year round you download the app for apple or android browse local restaurants and businesses and you can track your delivery in real time we've been using postmates i think for at least five years now maybe even longer than that uh and they've got this little icon that shows you exactly where your food is because obviously when you're sitting and watching football and you want your food delivered you need to know precisely the moment that it will be arriving and there's never been a better time to start with postmates because they are giving our listeners 100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you use that familiar cap space code that's delivery credit so they usually charge a delivery fee over your first seven days you get a hundred dollars worth of credit towards those delivery fees that's the cap space code to get anything you need anytime you need it and postmate it we organically used to say postmates it but uh the copy says postmate it so we'll, we'll go with that download postmates and save with that cap space code and let them know that you came from us all right we got a little bit of news to catch up on here before danny and i turn to the season outlook for the orlando magic where do you want to start let's start with eric gordon this is another extension that was done with time remaining on the contract and while it provides significant financial value obviously for eric gordon it is not like a max extension or anything like that oh actually oh no it no, is, no it is no, for it him. is it, it is for him yeah that's yeah, right no, sorry he's a max player now danny yeah, he's a max player now yeah there there needs to be some i mean it's it's not a max contract it is a his max yeah so, well uh, as like long Draymond as and, uh as long as reporters are doing agents favors in exchange for scoops uh we're still going to get this right max, and, and this one's even even a little bullshit. bit a little bit beyond that because the final year is non-guaranteed but still really significant money for eric gordon he adds three years and 54.5 million to his contract and that fourth non-guaranteed year it can actually become guaranteed but it's pretty hefty things gordon making an all-star team rockets winning a title but this is this is a a big deal for the rockets who already have so much invested in their not only their team in general but specifically in their backcourt yeah I and mean, gordon is almost basically a three at this point he started at that position alongside chris paul and james harden he has got good length and he's stout enough to hold up there defensively in the rocket system he really frustrated donovan mitchell quite a bit in that utah houston series in the first round so pretty remarkable for a guy who's known as a sieve in new orleans to, to come into a winning situation he also struggled so badly with injuries he's basically been totally healthy i mean the biggest reason we had some questions about that contract when it was signed was because gordon had struggled so badly to stay healthy although he even in new orleans had put those knee problems in the rear view mirror for a couple of years before becoming a free agent one of the few value contracts signed in the summer of 2016 and now he is actually going to get much more money per year when he turns 31 before the end of his original contract which would have been uh, at the end of this season this could be making 18 million a year and similar structure in some ways to al horford where the last year of horford's contract becomes fully guaranteed if the sixers win a championship there's some other incentives in there as well so yeah i think that's uh i don't mind that structure for the teams where it's like hey you know what like we're we're willing to reward you on the back end of your contract if we win a championship you know flags five forever type uh, of mentality and while i think gordon with his shooting ability and strength those are two 
aspects that are likely to age really well still hard to see where he is going to be a value contract by the end of this and you know maybe the thought is hey we had to lock him up for one more year past this one he's probably still going to be pretty good at that point and our, our and i think really their window realistically with harden turning 30 this year russell westbrook a year older than that is these next two years and so maybe it's worth it uh, and maybe uh as we speculated before del Mori isn't going to be there past two years or three years from now to uh see the back end of some of these transactions yeah that is entirely possible the other piece of of rockets news is a continuation of something that you and i have been wondering about for a while which is that nene turned down a player option that he originally if you for those who have a really long-term memory can remember that nene actually originally agreed to a four-year contract the last time he was a free agent but they had to reduce it to three years because of the over 38 rule however they made the final year of that contract a player option then they declined that player option then had basically been functionally off the basketball grid for the entirety of the first two months of the offseason he has since signed uh, the kelly eco of the athletic had it that nene is going to resign with the rockets presumably on a minimum contract and this to me feels like a sweetheart deal for the rockets because not only if it is for the minimum as i expect that it will be not only is it cheaper than what he would have done but getting nene on what i assume will be a one-year minimum contract means that the league subsidizes his subsidizes a portion of his deal not only for the rockets books but also in terms of the luxury tax and the salary cap yeah and we'll see whether in fact nene ends up getting another year after this one this smacks of quite a bit of salary cap maneuvering of the type for which the miami heat uh, have been famously talked about Udonis haslam actually coming back uh, to them uh, again but yeah you would think that oh they had this four-year deal initially and then he and that seemed like it could be decent value at the time and they had given them very good backup center minutes uh, in his first year of the team 16 17 is all a summer of 2017 that this all happened so first they played him paid him off with the player option and now maybe because they are potentially close to the tax big surprise uh, in houston that that's a, a concern that maybe it will make more sense for them to bring him back again next year you know nene is not known for being this like incredible veteran leader type he had a reputation for being a little prickly early in his career he's been around since 2002 uh, amazingly enough and is he yeah he's the earliest drafted player in the league right now right no no tyson chandler is 2001 his teammate <laughs> uh yeah and he, he is and, oh and vince carter obviously to yeah. 1999 yeah yeah it's, um, it is yeah i believe it's one guy from each of those classes or not yeah vince carter was 1998 i misspoke Jesus. sorry uh and, and i mean pretty amazing that he came out as a junior vince carter too he didn't even have the the he was coming off of the three-year age deficit and he's still somehow around with the hawks but but anyway so we're, we're gonna talk about how you know this does seem like hey some of this is gonna be uh they're gonna make up his money to him like it seems like now they're in the hold of him twice first the four years that became three years and now opting out of the larger player option to come back for the minimum i mean that just i mean maybe he in theory was like oh i'm gonna retire like no no actually i'm gonna come back i mean that's all it all seems like just that temporal difference there is all just kind of cya and you know since it's an a a backup center probably no one really cares so now the rockets uh have two 37 or 38 whatever it is year old backup centers uh and i still you know i thought nene did some nice things for them in the jazz series at times but you know i still don't feel great about their backup center rotation in the aggregate and what actually bothers me more about their backup big rotation is not who they have but the number of roster spots they have committed to centers 
I mean, there are many times when P.J. Tucker is their best option at center, and they have now have four guys that I would classify as a center that take up fully guaranteed roster spots. Yeah, and three of them are backups, and none of them, I think, necessarily solve the problem. Right, so we'll see. Maybe they can, maybe Maury can do the thing again this year where if they have too many centers, he can use some of their available cash to offload one of them so they could stay under the standard of the tax. We'll see if they need those sort of mechanics, though it's looking like they will. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Another team that's going to have some shuffling to do is the Brooklyn Nets. So Wilson Chandler signed with the Nets and looked like he would play a, a significant role in this season because Kevin Durant is out for a while with with his Achilles injury and you know they also have Garrett Temple of course and Wilson Chandler now will miss the first 25 games of the season for testing positive for PEDs. I don't think I've heard what he specifically tested positive for, but this is a huge blow to Brooklyn. Yeah, it was uh Ipamorlin which is basically akin to growth hormone. So this is the first growth hormone suspension that we have seen. When people think about PDs in the NBA, it seems like growth hormone, which is purported, I, I'm not an expert on what all these substances actually do, but it's purported to kind of be more about injury prevention and recovery than necessarily like getting really jacked uh, like you would with steroids. So we're interesting to see if we have more of these for Chandler, uh, his statement was that during my injury rehab process, before I signed with the Nets, I was prescribed a treatment that included small doses of a substance recently added to the NBA's prohibited substance list. I did not realize the substance was banned and neither did the doctor. I accept responsibility and apologize to my Nets teammates, coaches, front office, and fans for this mistake. And I'll continue to work hard to prepare for the upcoming season. And it always seems like these are more palatable to people for whatever reason if you're trying to overcome injury or whatever so not a surprise necessarily that he went that route and i'm always skeptical of any kind of performance enhancing drugs explanation so take that with a grain of salt to be sure but now that this is actually being tested for me interested to see whether there's going to be more of these coming down the pike but and it's certainly you'd think not really in the league's interests or the players interests to have more of these suspensions but if some of the stuff that they're taking has long-term health consequences which i think people hgh we don't really know that there are many people who take it in their personal lives and actually say that it's really good you know so it's uh, mark cuban even uh, has uh talked about how the nba should be studying this a, a little bit more on on what they're gonna ban and what actually could help players avoid injury safely so I'm not going to come down necessarily with any value judgments here, but he's going to be away from the team for the first 25 games. And that, of course, is uh, the front end of the season is when they would have needed his contributions the most uh, with Kevin Durant not playing, certainly at the beginning of the season and maybe even at the end. Last piece of news involves the New Orleans Pelicans. Darius Miller, who signed the contract we've focused on in moments of this offseason because it looks like a human trade exception. It is fully guaranteed at about $7.3 million for yeah. this year and then non-guaranteed at $7 million for next season. He recently, so long after signing the contract, suffered a torn Achilles and per Malika Andrews of ESPN, he is expected to return to play in seven to eight months. That's towards the end of the regular season. Miller you know, has been a, been a part of the Pelicans rotation in the last couple of years. It wasn't exactly clear where his spot was going to be with all of their new additions. Not to say he wasn't going to have one. It was just that they have so many guys that it was challenging to piece together a rotation. But now he will spend most, if not all, of the season recovering from his Achilles. Yeah, and interesting that the timeline is seven to eight months. You know, you haven't heard anything like that for Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, it's who George Achilles 
two months before Miller did you're not hearing anything about that type of time you used to hear it you know with Kobe with Wes Matthews when guys are about to be free agents which Miller almost certainly will be released next summer with that second year being non-guaranteed so we thought he was a human trade exception already and now it really looks like he's going to be uh since he's not going to play at all uh, this season in all likelihood and you know that number was a huge number for him after he really was not a huge contributor last year shot at, at career low levels and and you'd have to imagine his career uh, unfortunately may be in jeopardy part of the reason why achilles i think is kind of known as a death sentence is it tends to afflict older players a little bit more guys in their late 20s early 30s you don't see torn achilles that much at least in basketball for younger players like you might with an acl and so i think part of why the achilles is seen seen as more of the death sentence than the acl is just because guys suffer it when they're older and they might have been on the way on the downside anyway um are right, you gonna talk a little orlando magic here yeah let's do it so orlando last year they finished 42 and 40 they actually had a better point differential than that they were out they outscored opponents per cleaning the glass which filters out garbage time they outscored opponents by just about a point per 100 possessions which is the expected win total of a 43 win team so a little bit below that and the biggest strength that they had last year and we expect that that will be a strength again of course this year is their defense do we expect that? Well, I mean, if something's going to be a strength there, I think their defense is going to be a strength. <laughs> well, so this is where we like to start here when talking about these is just season review. How good were the guys, these guys last year? And part of the reason we decided to do them early on is they have a lot of continuity from last year. Al Farouk Aminu is really the biggest addition that they're going to have to their rotation. And I think there are reasons to think that that 42 and 40 is real and that they could maybe be even better. And, and some of the projection systems really like them. Uh, KP's projection system has them in the high 40s, I, I recall, for wins. And part of the reason to think that that's real is because they took off when they got Jerry Grant and Mo Bamba out of the rotation, as we've referenced many times. And those guys were kind of having playing time gifted to them. And the backups were really just getting completely killed whenever Vooch and DJ Augustin, who they like to play together because that's a, their only potent pick and roll combo, really. When those two guys are out of the game, they're getting killed. And then Michael Carter-Williams, uh, first it was uh, Isaiah Briscoe, and then Michael Carter-Williams as the, the new backup one when Grant just lost his spot. And then Mobamba went down for the year with that leg fracture and Kem Birch ascended into the rotation. And all of a sudden they started really killing people with their backup units out there so there is a personnel point that makes you say yeah hey once they got these sieves out of the rotation these total sinkholes now they're able to really you know their starters great play could carry them on the other hand though you dig a little bit deeper into the numbers after february 1st is about when bamba went down their defense really did some unsustainable things giving up 32 percent which was quote-unquote best in the league on opponent three-pointers that was a, a big part of it. it now their shot distribution during that period was solid they gave up the ninth most three-pointers uh, per game and or, or i'm sorry the ninth fewest three-pointers per game and the sixth fewest shots at the rim hallmarks uh, of a steve clifford defense and then they also totally controlled the defensive glass another hallmark of clifford's unit so there were some things structurally which were pretty good there but to say that they're going to be i mean after the break they had a plus 8.8 net rating and went 21 and i'm sorry not after the break after february 1st went 21 and 9 
and had the seventh ranked offense and the second ranked defense in the nba and i don't think that that is sustainable but you can also say that their first half of the year was uh unsustainably bad in a number of ways so i'm not sure what to make of last year for these guys i I think ultimately they were about the same quality as their record when you when you're trying to project things going forward here yeah i I think that's about fair and if you expand it out to january 1st which is what i was using because that's also when they started to kind of tweak their point guard rotation it gets a little bit more modest at that from from January first, they're third in defense, and then they're they're uh, t- uh, about plus four point eight overall in net rating. So yeah, I, I, the other part, and I think this can tie in with something else that we often talk about in these, which is like who's going to get better and who's going to get worse. So if you're projecting what what from last year carries over, one part of it, as you talked about, is was this real? And I think a significant portion of it it was. I think that you know they have talent, they have defensive personnel. I really like Clifford as as a defensive coach with the length of Isaac and Gordon they're playing pretty big they make sense that they if with the effort they put on the defensive glass that that's there so all of those elements and yeah it was you know Vooch did a better job defensively they defended better with him on the floor all those sorts of things I, I think a lot of those elements speak to to yes and even if there's some regression in certain certain people or certain areas you can get like you talked about the three-point shooting in the last couple months of the year I think that's totally fair those numbers aren't as ridiculous when you look at the whole season we're noting but they're also like ninth in defense i think over the whole season but one what something that has struck me with the magic for the last couple years but most notably this past one is that the other part of continuation is where are you on the aging curve and while there are definitely young players on the orlando magic isaac gordon gordon still this is gonna be his age 24 season bamba etc their most important players are i would argue either prime or post prime and that is concerning yeah i mean it's uh, dj augustine more so than vooch i mean vooch had an absolute career year we had, had talked about him as being one of the most overrated points and rebounds and not much else players in the nba inner steve clifford system he really flourished got to where he was passable defensively he was part of this uh, good defensive group and then on offense they ran even more through him it was a, a career year in every respect for him made it the all-star team was a deserving all-star although i wouldn't say he's necessarily one of the top 24 players in basketball he does have the advantage uh, of being in the east uh, but career highs from downtown 36 percent had never been over 31 percent on any kind of volume before that career high in two-point shooting 55 percent even got to the foul line more than he had before but not much still only 2.8 attempts per game which is uh very low he likes to just kind of go into non-contact hook shot moves in the lane instead of powering up he kind of goes for like the really quick flip uh so you would expect there to be a little bit of a regression there uh you know first time in his career he had a true shooting above the league average also higher on the offensive and defensive glass uh, than he'd been in quite some time career high defensive rebounding in Clifford's system as well we saw also that Clifford you know it seemed like his effectiveness in Charlotte declined over time although he probably had his best year there in his third year in Charlotte so I, I wouldn't expect that to be an issue and then Augustine other than the fact that he's a 
reached an age now where you'd expect is there anything statistically you see about his performance that you expect to regress here well i mean so he shot 42 percent from three last year but he shot 42 percent from three the year before and is 41 and is sorry is 38 percent for his career but he's improved since his, his younger days overall and yeah i mean you could expect and this is not exactly a strength for him already but you could see some of the aggressiveness stuff you know getting to the basket and finishing at the rim those those could deteriorate a little bit what concerns me with augustine this is a, a more general critique of the magic as well is just if he has even though it's more about his functionality as a pick and roll operator but if he has trouble more trouble generating separation in basically any context harder to get by his guy and just not doing as much then because the magic have so few playmakers I think that it ex- it becomes a more critical problem for them, especially because they have no backups for him. They don't really have any other than Fournier who can who can shoulder some of the load. They don't really have any backup plans there. They don't have any unless Marco Fultz and he'll come up a few different times in this unless he shocks the world and has and really can step into that kind of a role. They need Augustine because they don't have much else. Yeah, Michael Carter Williams uh, is being brought back, and, and as mentioned, uh, they played quite well with him on the floor last year but didn't see any indication and certainly in the playoff series against the raptors that uh, his shooting problems are any better i mean 227 minutes 12 games last year in the regular season uh 14.0 net rating by far uh, the highest of anyone on the team vooch oh. was second uh yeah go ahead. something i wanted to mention when we we're talking about guys that got excised from the rotation is we should also mention jonathan simmons who was oh terrible yeah. for them in the first half of the year and then got got traded at the deadline and you know he was such a big negative that getting him out of the rotation was was a positive you know like even Wesawundu was limited and a few other guys but I mean he was significantly better than Jonathan Simmons oh he of a 45% true shooting last year and just you a bunch of turnovers a lot of he was just awful last year yeah negative 6.6 net rating for him yeah th- that's a good point and, and maybe we can uh, last thing I'll say on Aminu too I think or, or sorry on, on Augustine we'll get to Aminu in a second his pick and roll ability with Vooch where Augustin can I think he causes problems for most teams in their base system in particular we saw after game one and even in game one frankly uh where the Magic just shot pretty well from three and the Magic just had no chance of making a two-point bucket in that Toronto series now Toronto is one of the greatest defenses of all time last year when they really ramped it up in the playoffs they played some great offenses so it, it was lost a little bit but they really just like eviscerated some of these offenses that they're playing and the Magic were no exception and they just could not get a two-point bucket but against normal teams especially when you're not going to blitz someone like augustine who doesn't have the quickness to get around those traps and can't really see over them uh but most teams aren't going to do that just for your normal run-of-the-mill regular season game his ability to shoot the three off the dribble and then vooch's shooting ability his passing ability playmaking in space pick and roll finishing you know that enabled augustine actually to get to the basket more than you think augustine shot it pretty well well over 50 percent uh, from two uh, and so we'll see i mean that's something where I think that's the most likely to regress is his two-point shooting if he's able to to get to the rim you know he's at an age where that could fall off so well and a part of that i I want to mention briefly is that part of how he's able to shoot 50 percent from two is that he shot 51 and 52 percent from 16 feet out to the three-point line each of the last two years yeah and that's uh you know but he i mean i think he is that kind of a shooter i mean yeah, he's he is. he's finally gotten past the even year odd year struggles uh, that he had for a while uh, to contributing last year was a really good year for him it was an odd year so uh congratulations uh, to him for beating that curse um 
Al Aminu was not a signing that we thought made a lot of sense. We thought maybe they should have focused some more resources uh, among playmakers. Now, you can make the argument that, hey, he's a power forward, Aaron Gordon, John Isaac, those guys are power forwards as well. But they also don't really have anything at the three. And Aminu can at least guard the three and, you know, kind of stand out there at the three-point line. I mean, he's been a combo forward along with Mo Harkless. You could argue what, who's the three and the four in that scenario. And that any kind of three and D ability, which Aminu has hit the three at times in his career, was something that was uh, at a premium on the market. He's still actually young enough to contribute and that it's not a bad value contract even if the fit isn't amazing and i think because they just don't have any threes this is the best facsimile that they could get and uh, he'll probably just spend a lot of time playing alongside isaac uh, and aaron gordon it's not ideal but i mean he is another competent nba player you mentioned how you know jonathan simmons for example killed them in the first half of the year and, and it wouldn't do to me is you know not, they played okay with him on the floor but he's not ready for prime time he, he's a, a worse shooter than aminu is and isn't nearly uh the defender that aminu is. the best argument for me in favor of the aminu contract is exactly where you're getting to at the end of that which is just having competence for a third forward is huge and theoretically aminu with within their system if one of those two guys gets hurt one of one of the two guys above him meaning gordon or isaac gets hurt then he could step into their role if that's what they want they could go in different directions but having just another player who can log minutes who can be a stabilizing force on some of those second units depending on how clifford wants to stagger both his forwards and his team more generally is there and that's also really important because so last year it was pretty amazing so when you think about the success that orlando had when dj augustine was off the floor orlando's had a 105.5 offense rating that's terrible that's bottom 20 percent in the league but they were still you know not a disaster in some of those minutes and remember this includes all the bomba stuff this is pre and post overhauls is that they were able to defend well and i think aminu could really help with that too and so having a third forward who can really defend then whether you're using ken birch center or using mobamba you have that foundation and then hopefully they figure out the offensive part of it at least a little bit more and if they do then this starts to look a lot better yeah i think that's a, a pretty good point and talking about the bench mark hill fault the latest re- reports now are you know Jeff Weltman has said it a couple of times, oh, he's making progress, he's making progress. There's at least been video of him doing on-court work. I mean, I would hope that there was, uh, but, you know, it doesn't seem to be shooting. And, of course, as we've mentioned many times, they have that decision to make on his third-year option, which is for over, or, I'm sorry, fourth-year option, which is for over $10 million. Fultz, certainly, we we liked the trade for him. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, he hasn't even, like, there's no videos of him shooting, he didn't play Summer League, it, there's no indication that he's going to be ready at this point despite uh he's making great progress you know that doesn't mean anything uh because everything's relative but he is potentially a guy who can at least create something on the second unit and maybe the thought was we're not going to bring in another point guard we're going to try to show confidence in him the Sixers tried that approach it didn't really work and you know it's going to be Michael Carter Williams the only other option uh maybe maybe they just wanted Fultz to feel good about his jumper by being able to practice with Carter Williams every day and maybe maybe that maybe that was the approach there ah that's fantastic Fantastic. <laughs> well, okay. Oh, so something I want to get into. You're, you're talking about Carter Williams. Yeah, sorry, I, I, brought, I, I, no, I didn't really leave you anywhere. To no, go. I brought up I brought up the idea <laughs> before about how this team is a little bit older. I wanted to mention some of the ages of the other guys. So this is Basketball Reference age for the 1920 season. Fournier, 27. Rob.
Ross, 28, Kem Birch, 28, because he came into the league after a long time in the wilderness, and Carter Williams, 28. So while, you know, guys like Birch and Carter Williams, you could make an argument that their best days in, in the NBA could still be in front of them. It isn't like they have a lot of that normal normal stuff of like, oh, they're 23, they're going to figure all that kind of stuff out. And Orlando, one of the most interesting questions with them is, will any of their younger guys other than Isaac, who clearly already has a spot in the rotation, really work their way in? Because Fultz and, Kem- and, and, and Bamba in particular have other guys that they can play should they want or need to. Yeah, and I think Birch was pretty good. Getting him back for $6 million a year was a good value there. I mean, I think it's going to be extremely telling for the career of Mo Bamba whether he's going to be in the rotation to start the year. They did make the playoffs last year. There is a chance in the Eastern Conference to at least move up. Yeah, I mean, they, they might even have a chance at... at you know, competing for home court advantage this year if uh some projections would be believed i think i'm going to see them a little bit lower than that so if mo bamba is not playing over kem birch i think you really have to wonder he's gonna be looking like a second draft candidate pretty soon at, at that point and another guy whose option could potentially be in jeopardy i mean that would be crazy right like they can't i mean i guess given where they are cap wise they're not gonna have cap space next year anyway so the thought would be hey just exercise that that option it's not going to make a difference for us but they are close enough to the tax this year that they had to stretch Timofey Mozgov. They're going to have $6 million in dead money on the books for him the next couple of years. They re-sign Ross and Vooch to these expensive contracts. Fournier doesn't come off the books. Oh, one quick correction. Ken Birch is making $6 million over two years. It's $3 million per season, which is oh, okay. a great that, that's what That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Did I say you said three six, years? You said $6 million per year, I think. Instead oh, of over well, six. I didn't mean to say that. I meant, okay. yeah. yeah what, anyway, I just wanted uh, yeah, to... Um, okay. But something I wanted to bring up about Mo Bamba is what, I wanted to ask you whether you think Vooch's contract... Four years, $100 million. I do like that the Magic front-loaded it, even though you can make an argument that front-loading it forced them to stretch Mozgov and some of these other some of these other spillover kind of things. Is is that the kind of deal that is sort of pushing Bamba into second draft territory? Because Vooch, it's not... I wouldn't say it's a bad contract, especially if he performs the way that he did last year. And the, that it descends helps helps its tradability a lot because then it's like 24 and 22 million the final two seasons as opposed to being 26, 28, something like that. But the commitment in terms of years and dollars at exactly the same position and they do not want to play those guys together it it kind of looks to me like they're marginalizing Bamba and maybe you can kind of play it both ways and that if Bamba play it does well enough then you can move on from Vooch but it seems to me like they're kind of playing this like Bamba's not going to step up at least in the next year or so yeah it certainly seemed like the plan when drafting it was all right it, we can let Vooch go in free agency but Vooch being good Bamba being bad the team actually making the playoffs for the first time forever certainly changed that thinking but yeah I mean it's hard for me to imagine him playing well enough to where they're like oh we're gonna move Nikola Vucevic now maybe Bamba could play well enough that another team would want to bring him in as their center of the future but you're certainly not going to get anything in terms of what we're talking about here as the number five pick in the 2018 draft how do you think uh, there and we've already forecasted perhaps some regression you know maybe faults can give them something i'm not counting on that Fournier and ross i think of those guys kind of are what they are so really you're relying on aaron gordon and jonathan isaac to take a step forward what do you see as the places where they could do that realistically despite being 
a big Jonathan Isaac believer. I, I have been since he was drafted. I mean, I loved his film. It's so hard for me to, to really see it on the offensive end. Defensively, I mean, he's he's a talent. He, the, the combination that he can do of helping on the defensive glass, but also I think he can make some, maybe even make some more strides as a shot blocker, though I still already like what we've seen. But maybe what that is about is just getting a little bit more comfortable with the jump shot. And I would I would love to see him do a little bit more around the basket. I mean, or just get fouled a little bit more often, just really anything like that. And and Gordon, there's been this intrigue for a long time about what he can do with the ball in his hands. And my, you know, I, there was that kind of, there's some stuff early in his career. People were thinking he could do a little bit more. I, I think that those dreams are, are toned down, but there's still a, a valuable secondary offensive player there. He shot 35% from three last year, 34% the year before. And maybe if you can ramp up the volume a little bit more, teams freak out a little bit more about that and it helps some of the other elements of their game. But yeah, it is hard to think about the real, the room to grow, especially with how good this team was defensively last year. Yeah, that's a good point. And then you get to the end of games where Isaac is going to start, almost certainly you would think as the prize draftee and Gordon, but John Isaac didn't get guarded in that Raptors series. And I think teams probably saw that uh, and if he's out there at the end of games that's going to happen again teams really lock in the end of games is kind of more similar to the playoffs but if they go with terrence ross you know there are a lot of teams in the east that don't have that guy who needs to be guarded on the wing you know evan fournier is certainly miscast in that role i mean between augustin fournier and ross i mean it really you know given the amount of time that all those guys played it's really remarkable that they defended it as well as they did and certainly there was some three-point luck involved there but you really have to wonder of you know can they get enough offense if Isaac can't take a step forward and I think it, when you look at the stat lines for these guys Isaac took 44 percent of his shots from downtown was not a high usage player at all 16 percent he's not really an amazing driver doesn't particularly get to the foul line you would think maybe the growth in his offense could come operating out of the mid posts and shooting mid-rangers but that's you know that's not really amazingly efficient offense either uh and so I think really it's just got to be more about making more open threes for both he and Gordon. Gordon did do a nice job of cutting out a few more long twos, at least from beyond 15 feet. You know, he does take about a little under 25% of his shots uh, from floater range and short mid-range he's not the greatest at attacking the rim off the drill and getting all the way there and finishing uh, from his own offense part of that is because he's really a two-foot jumper instead of a one-foot jumper so he has to kind of load off he's not gonna get by his man and extend at the basket he gets more of his dunks uh, off of other people's actions or, or the offensive glass or transition so i you know I, I think defensively certainly they can take a step forward isaac particularly as a help defender i mean i like gordon as an on-ball guy and isaac uh, with his help instincts uh you know maybe they can get even better defensively but you know it's hard to see with this personnel that they're going to get above you know where they were last year maybe they could increase like a spot or two but i mean do you see them getting better defensively this year i could see them better defensively than the full season numbers they were eighth you know i could i could see them doing not not like i don't think they're gonna be first or second or anything like that but i could see them doing better than that but not than the the all post break kind of numbers that's that's too strong so i would say but i do think do you think it's reasonable they finish seventh or better i think so 
I, I reasonable, maybe likely, I would say no. I, I mean, I, if I had to peg where they're going to be, you know, I'd put them in the, you know, eight to 12 range probably this year. And a lot of that still is just respect for Clifford and Gordon and Isaac. Cause you're really just outside of that, who are like the, the good individual defenders on this team. And, and, you know, part of it is just the Steve Clifford bending the math a little bit with the, the defensive glass and forcing teams to take shots uh, from difficult positions or at least inefficient positions if not difficult positions but i think that philosophy can only get you so far so they're not going to be turning other teams over really that much you know isaac is really the only kind of ball hawk type of guy the guy you'd look at as a defensive playmaker instead of just solid for his position uh what about on the offensive end i i think they could take a step forward there just because the bench offense was so bad for the first three months of the season agree although we have of course warned about august and Vooch as potential regression candidates Yeah, I mean, you you have forces going in both directions. The force going in the positive direction is taking out the worst players in the rotation will make a huge difference. I mean, that one one of the biggest things that I've learned over the last couple of years is eliminating non-NBA players from your rotation or even one-way players, so NBA guys who just can't do anything on the other four, can make life so much easier on everybody else. And it certainly looks like their rotation will have fewer of those just black holes in it, and that's a, a huge positive. Not that they particularly saw those problems it's just that they have better options than they did before but some of the like kind of the larger scary things to me about orlando's offense seem more baked in because they didn't change the personnel that much so i'll I'll give you a couple examples so last year the magic never got to the rim they had their 31 percent of their shots came you know with around the basket in the restricted area which was the third lowest proportion in the league the only two teams that did that took fewer there were the warriors and spurs who had unconventional offenses that succeeded in very different ways than the magic offense could or would succeed and so that's a big problem because those are easy shots and then that gets compounded i often talk about this overall as aggressiveness that they were dead last in free throw attempt rate and they were well behind the league average so they're about three percent behind league average that margin is basically like you could think so if you took three percent like higher in the list it's almost the whole league so they were just really far behind almost everybody else there and it's not all that i mean and and you're talking about you know the when you're comparing your free throw to to field goal attempt rate that's a that's a few points a game there like absolutely you know, not that like of just not getting the foul line those obviously are, are very efficient plays and like you said it's baked in you know they had this problem before clifford got there too you know it's not a question of system it's a question of, and vooch being their centerpiece augustine in that the most free throw attempts per game was like three last year by anyone on the team that was aaron gordon i talked about too how he's not really a guy who's going to just put pressure on the rim off the dribble in the way that he's going to get fouled so i i mean and they don't have anybody who's going to like push down in your throat and get to the rim or get fouled in transition really that much well yeah so they were yeah. so last year the the magic 81.6 percent of their possessions came in the half court that is the fifth highest rate in the entire league and they're one of the only teams that was both in the that in the very bottom in terms of frequency and in the bottom half of the league in half court effectiveness and it's hard to see either i mean the half court effectiveness could get better in the vein of the non-vooch dj minutes because those were such a disaster last year but structurally there isn't a whole lot that's going to change that so if they don't really have anybody to push 
to push the transition proportion up. And they, you know, maybe Carter Williams can do a little bit more and not having Jaron Grant can help, those sorts of things. And if the half-court offense is significantly better, then you start to see the offense as a largely similar picture unless somebody really outperforms it. And I'm sure we're going to hear a lot over the next couple of years about, with forwards, oh, maybe they could be the next Pascal Siakam or something like that. You have to have a lot more skill already to be that kind of a guy than like where Jonathan Isaac is. I love John Isaac as a defensive player, but he doesn't have the handle that Siakam had a, even a couple of years ago, much less right before his breakout. Yeah, and Siakam has more athleticism, uh, particularly off one foot. Uh, Isaac really, uh, another guy more uh, of really a, a two-foot leaper, despite his usually skinny guys are better off of one foot, but that's not the case with him. So you talked about so, some weaknesses there, and we'll get to strengths in a second, but since we're on the topic, anything else that points out or, or that pops up to you as a potential weakness for this team? I don't know if most people would consider this a traditional weakness, but for me, it's the lack of like high upside flyers. You know, the idea, so when you have a team that's middle of the road, and, and honestly, you could argue yeah. anywhere. In well, the, well, what about faults? I mean, that, that, I think they've made. Well, do you think this year, do you think like it, what what would be a reasonable best case scenario for Marco Fultz? Like capable backup point guard? Like he's not going to be a starting point guard this year. You don't think yeah, that? Yeah, I, I guess that's true. But I, I, I'm still, yeah, and that's why we were critical of them. And maybe, you know, if they'd gotten, gone after someone like a Dalon Wright or something. Who or, or even like Hull Neto. Level. Yeah. Like Hull Neto would have been a, uh, a real I, nice. I, 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 I will say I probably think Marco Fultz is a little more upside than Hull Neto. Well, I mean, Neto. I'm thinking you have both of those guys instead of instead of MCW. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Well, yeah, it, that's true. I mean, it, Carter Williams is kind of like I, I think that's one where I don't want to necessarily believe that what he did last year in the team's performance with him on the floor is going to continue. You know, over those 300 minutes, and we have you know well, thousands of minutes of his career and, and, and that it, it doesn't work. It's a him. great example of something that I've thought about at various points in this, which is when a team is very successful with a player on the floor are they successful because of that guy if they are then that's something that you want to consider and maybe you build around it but if it's just hey we're playing really well and he's out there or maybe it's just he's so much better than guys like grant that it helps that is very different from saying he's the reason that we're succeeding and that's one of those you know separating the signal from the noise the wheat from the chaff that can be really difficult and i'm sure if i were gm i would get it wrong a fair amount too but in this case i'm leaning pretty heavily that direction yeah other weaknesses i see quickly here we talked about backup point guard play creating one-on-one offense you know at the end of games they try to go to vooch in the post they had some success with that in some games during the regular season um you know he really caused problems like for the lakers in particular in a couple of games down the end but if they have a player who could guard Booch in the post, they really have nowhere else to go. And obviously that was the case uh, with Marcus Gasol guarding him in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I think these guys have a decent shot at the playoffs, but, you know, I think their, their weaknesses when you really get down to it, I mean, we spent a lot of time on their weaknesses, right? And you're like, well, what the hell? These guys are over 500 and, and you might even realistically expect them to take another mini step forward this year. You know, why are you spending so much time on their weaknesses? It's like, well, they kind of paper over them and they deserve a lot of credit for, I think, exceeding their talent level last year. And maybe they'll do the same this year during the regular season. But I think when you get into the playoffs, I think this is a team that really you know, some teams punch above their weight in the playoffs. I think this team would punch well below its weight in the playoffs. So, so that's another weakness I see. Um, what about strength? Anything that we haven't an interesting, hit on yet? Or an interesting point there, actually, I want to bring up. So, and this is, again, it's matter of interpretation. So the Magic last year, they had the second weakest clutch offensive rating, 95.8 
points per 100 possessions, which is terrible. But they had the fourth best clutch defense in the league. So how you interpret those two things is is important because, hey, yeah, they I, defended I, I, well. The, yeah. like, but I'm, uh, so again, this is on the positive negative side of it. I'm more concerned that their clutch offense was terrible than that their clutch defense was good because at some point you're going to have to score points. Yeah, strengths though, uh, like many Clifford teams, avoiding turning the ball over. And, and part of the good thing about not getting to the rim is you're when you try to go into the teeth of the defense, you're probably going to turn the ball over a, a little bit more. You know, I think they do have guys who can make shots. Augustine is really one of the better shooters off the dribble. They've got Ross who can come off of screens. You know, that uh, Fournier-Vooch screen out of the corner is really difficult to stop. You know, Coaching, certainly, uh, overall, just avoiding mistakes, uh, I think, are, are all things that you can point to. The defensive rebounding is big also. So uh, there are some strengths here. You know, Just not a lot of them are as sexy. And, and that's, again, how this team, in theory, is able to overcome. Uh, I think they also have you know passing playmaking from the center position uh you know i wouldn't say passing overall is a negative it's probably about average uh, up and down the roster uh and then also i think defense on the wing is pretty good with aminu and gordon and isaac i I think you've got at least a lot of bodies to throw at players give them we're gonna give them different looks uh so and those guys all have have pretty good athleticism so that's something you could talk about also that you know when they do go up against those teams that have pretty good wings they've got some decent answers and those guys can cover some ground defensively as well as help defenders close out on guys that's uh that's something i would look at as a at least a relative strength of this team but again i mean this is when you really look at this team you're like man like what is this team's bread and butter on either side of the ball you're kind of hard pressed to come up with answers i'd say well so the way that i would describe the magic's strengths i i think it's healthy to kind of look at the four factors defensively here and if you go through so three of them you know opponent shooting well opponent shooting they generally do a good job of both shot distribution i thought that the magic's opponent shot distribution last year was good you know took away a lot at the rim opponent three-point frequency was 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 totally fine and then they forced a lot of mid-range shots that's exactly what you want and success rate they did they did very well there overall too defensive rebounding clifford strength strength of this team and then they also didn't foul a ton last year and for a team that had you know has some young guys including john isaac and bomba for a portion of the season on their front line that's definitely positive and so i think all three of those things are sustainable maybe not all to the nth degree that they were overall last year but in in broad strokes and that's something that i think is important is just like they have that's why i said the thing i think they could be better than eighth in defense this year is because they have they have some of those key components well they don't force a lot of turnovers but that's okay you know it's 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 something that good defenses can do but don't have to do and then on the other end it's kind of it's kind of the opposite where they don't have as many positives but at least they don't turn the freaking ball over and that really does help yeah yet another unsexy strength um before we kind of get into predictions here any rotation battles that you think are going to matter i mean i think backup point guard is one that's you know they may have zero solutions there or they may have you know if mark hulk mark hell can emerge that could help some I and mean, he at least showed something defensively he can get to the basket I and mean, even if he's just kind of shooting you know mid-range jumpers uh instead of threes i think he can with lowered expectations i think he could contribute for this team if you know everyone can get past the idea that like he's got to shoot the ball the way he did at washington and he can just concentrate on contributing in some fashion or another that's definitely the top one for me especially because birch bomba is you know it's it's important for their long-term future but i think the the difference on the floor won't be as extreme as it was last year because bomba should be better and the one that i want to keep an eye on here also because it's important for their long term is 
Aminu really does help the depth of their forward rotation, second unit, all that. But can one of their other young wings step up? So Wundu, Melvin Frazier are the most likely there. But if any, if any one of the guys, even if it's 10 minutes a game, I think that would be pretty significant for the Magic just to have another player. And then if somebody's hurt or they just need that kind of a player on the floor, they don't want to, you know, overtax Gordon or Isaac or however that's going, it would be a pretty significant add. And, you know, that's the kind of role that they wanted John Simmons to do. And then he sucked and they could, they could definitely use it. So it's not make or break for this team as a franchise, but it is an important one. And since they basically didn't sign anybody for that role, it's, if it happens, it's going to be one of the young guys stepping up. Yeah. I think having Aminu again, hopefully will insulate them against having to depend on those guys too much. And, you know, again, I think the the crunch time lineup, which is an interesting playing time battle as well of just, all right, is it going to be Isaac or Aminu at the three, or is it going to be Ross or maybe Fournier could be the odd man out in some groups if Ross really has it going. I mean, a lot of times it's just a question of feel. Ross is going to come off the bench again, most likely, and he can get it going at the start of the fourth quarter. And if he does, maybe he, he'll stay in and close. I think it's just going to be a feel thing. It's going to be a question of who they have to match up with uh, at the power wing position on the other team uh, from night to night. But yeah, and we'll see some offense, defense substitutions. The changing in the timeout rules where you only get two under three minutes that makes it a little bit more difficult for some of these teams that have you know we neither go offense or defense with some of our key groups um key questions for this season any that we haven't hit on yet uh, before we uh give our official predictions here no i i think we talked about all i'll just rattle through them just briefly it's is there defense closer to elite or very good can they score reliably and will their bench be able to do anything those are really the three big ones for me yeah and i would add just you know what happens with vooch and augustine if they can stay at the same level and you know i think they might be a pretty decent bet to improve this year if those guys take a step back then you might get improvement in other areas raw you can throw terrence ross in there too he had a career year last year and got that 54 million dollar deal uh And, you know, we could also see that this team, if they do disappoint, maybe they do start listening on Pooch or Terrence Ross, and we'll find out what those contracts are. Now, if they disappoint, it could be because those guys aren't playing that well. Uh, Augustine is another guy maybe who could get moved if they suffer some injuries early on and they're out out of the playoff mix. And that actually wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world because they just do need some more long-term talent. There's just not really the upside with this group, which is kind of why we're a little bit further down on their decisions this offseason. Okay, prediction time. Let's do uh, a predicted record for the Orlando Magic in 2019-20. I will let you go first this year or this time. It's a little bit of a challenge for me because there are plenty of things that I like about the Magic. I think their defense is closer to real than you do. But one factor that weighed in for projecting this as opposed to the best case and worst case is that last year's Orlando Magic team was extraordinarily healthy. Bamba missed time, but you could argue that Bamba missing time was a positive because Ken Birch was better than he was. But Gordon, Fournier, Vooch, and Augustine all played 78 or more games. Isaac missed some, and and Ross only missed one game too. So I actually think on paper, the Magic are about a, a similar team. I think that the possible regressions to the mean and the youth improvements plus just cleaning up the rotation a little bit, I think those those are largely close to a wash. And I think that they're about right with what they were last year. So that to me is like a 44 
44-win 44-43 win team. But I'm going to price in a little bit of worse injury luck and just go to 42 because most teams don't get, you know, they don't get 78 games plus from all of their most important players. And losing one of those guys for an extra 5 to 10 would hurt. All right, so you're at 42. I think I'm going to go with 41 a lot of times teams that take a big step forward one year can regress especially a team that doesn't you know it's not doing it you know this is we're not talking oklahoma city thunder 2010 type of you know nuclear stars starting to take off here i echo your concerns with the health defensively you know i do think that the league may be trending a little bit more towards bigs especially in the eastern conference so you might say that some of their size, Vooch can hold up a little bit better. There's not going to be quite as much spreading the floor, maybe as there has been with some of these other teams that are trying to copy the Warriors. They're dead now, but we'll see. Uh, I think I'll go with 41 wins ultimately here. I mean, you know, that's tough though. They're they're 42 last year and right about that level in terms of point differential. Well, something I wanted to bring up with you is, and I think this is just something that happens with the calendar. When you see an obviously limited team that makes the playoffs, the last thing you remember is them getting completely outclassed. And yes, the Magic did take one game from the Raptors. And so I have these, these twin ideas of one is the issues that we saw aren't as prevalent in the regular season, but also I think the bottom of the league is significantly better this year not everybody but i think it's it's stronger this year so there won't be as many easy marks for them and so i think i'm gonna argue that those two things wash a little bit i think i'm gonna go 40 uh just because i as much as i intellectually understand okay statistically here's kind of how they're doing it you know i i do think their bench can struggle especially to score um i think they'll hopefully have decent bench defense and it seemed like last year was a little bit over their heads and ultimately i'm not sure vooch can repeat this year and so i'll go with with 40 wins so i'm two below you what do you see as a best case scenario for this group and and i will say this is this is pretty interesting you know kevin pelton's projections looking at right now had 46.5 wins and a 93 percent chance at making the playoffs for these guys which uh i mean that seems preposterously high to me his rationale is getting rid of some of those bad players adding alfred camino is a good rpm and also the number of minutes played by returning players are his projections give a continuity boost or perhaps more accurately a con a lack of continuity demerit for some of these teams that have guys switching teams after january 1st they had a plus 4.8 net rating and the number three defense so if we're talking best case scenario both of those things are closer to real than not and maybe it's not to that extreme and again this is realistic best case not full-on you know 100 percentile outcome so for me if they're a plus three to plus five net rating somewhere in that range that's a high 40s to low 50s team that would be huge that team would host host a series in the in the eastern conference they would definitely win their division and that would be a pretty amazing season for them yeah and i think when we talk about best case scenario i think you're kind of talking about okay what is their pythagorean best pythagorean outcome right? like yeah yeah if you're gonna say okay they'll have the point differential of 47 win team and they're gonna win five more games and expect to get to 52 wins okay i acknowledge that that you know that could happen due to luck but that's that's not really where i want to go with my projections uh it's Seth had an interesting thing in one of his pieces recently comparing the Thunder and the Clippers and what if you just switched around their luck and the Thunder you know had won like 59 games last year and the Clippers were at 30 39 um 
because sometimes you, you think about it in terms of okay this team was lucky let's regress them back to where they would have been if they just had average luck but sometimes you can even think of it as a range of you know this could just be 10 wins just based on luck you know either good luck or bad luck you sometimes just think of it as okay they had good luck so let's get them back to neutral but it really is a range you know can be just based on luck of 10 wins around you know what the actual quality of the team is um so i'm gonna go with 47 wins as their best case scenario even though i know uh kp's projections and and his subjective projections by the way might be quite different than this but uh yeah i'll go with 47 as their best case scenario i just don't see the upside here with this group you know defensively you know i think their upside is about where they were last year and you know maybe on offense they could get to be average you know i don't see them being above average uh you know maybe they get to like the 12th best offense and the seventh best defense kind of about the best i would see so that's you know high 40s type of win team um i'll go with 48 as my best case scenario and uh what did you have give me give me a specific number 51 that's more like a top five defense and let's say about 12 offense how about worst case the defense isn't quite there and the offense just as you know let's say bottom 10 and that's you know that's to me like a that's in the 30s for sure so I'll, I'll put it at like 33 because if the offense just isn't there even if you're good but not great on defense it's not enough to sustain you like there have been there have been a couple like there was a Miami team in the last couple of years that was kind of like that they did a little bit better than than that worst case scenario but that's why it's the worst case but yeah I'd say 33 is about right so they won 25 games two years ago big improvement 17 win improvement expected one loss was 28 i think if things go poorly this team what did you have 33 i, I mean i think i think like 30 i mean i guess we're kind of i'm kind of just like two three wins below you on all these but i'm gonna actually go i'm gonna go worst case 28 wins i think it could like what if the defense just falls apart or like a, a vooch injury where you know he's missed games before in the past you know if he misses 20 or 30 games I think they could really struggle. Bama gets forced into a big role. Backup point guard is a, a huge problem. Ross takes a step back. Augustine takes a step back. And they have some risk here to me. Uh, and maybe the Clifford smoke and mirrors just doesn't work quite as well. Yeah, I think I think they could be 28 wins. Now, it is kind of funny to think of a team that's kind of unspectacular like this as having that big of a range. Uh, but yeah, I think things could really go wrong for this group because they just don't have the top end talent. If, if the system isn't working, if you have a couple of weak spots in the rotation, I mean, you're much more prone when you don't have those high-end superstars to having, you know, the formula has to be, we don't have any weak spots. And if those develop, that could really start hurting them. Well, and that gets into something that I wanted to mention. What you talked about, you're maybe a little bit surprised that the variance was that high. For me, it's just does the theory of this team work or not? And if it, if it's yes, then they'll do they'll do very well. They'll beat all the bad teams, lose take some games from good teams, which they did last year, and then they'll. But if but if not, then they'll be on the you know they'll be on the razor's edge, and that's a, a real dangerous place to be. One other thing I want to mention before we get going with them is they have a lot of cost certainty. Vooch, Gordon, both those guys have at least two years Ross three years after after this season however there is a little bit more volatility here than I think some are some are seeing and that's DJ Augustine is an unrestricted free agent absent an extension which I do not expect to see coming he he's going to be a free agent and then Fournier you know 17.2 million is a lot of money for 
him. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Fournier want the security and the control of free agency, even taking a lower annual value, because also the passage of time doesn't necessarily help him. I think hitting hitting free agency next summer, especially with how unbelievably bad that, that collection of free agents is, could be there. And we don't know exactly what Fournier wants. Maybe he likes his place in the Orlando ecosystem and everything else, but their two backcourt players, their two most important offensive players are both potential and maybe even likely unrestricted free agents after this season. Yeah, and those will be, if they have another, you know, kind of semi, I shouldn't say semi-successful, they had a very successful year by their standards last year, but they have another season like that, they're going to have some hard decisions to make uh, on those guys as they did uh, with Ross and maybe to a lesser extent, Fooch. But, you know, there is an opportunity for this group here, at least in the regular season, to uh, maybe get into another echelon in the Eastern Conference. All right, uh, anything to talk about before we go here? Yeah, on, on Wednesday, I released the Pacific Division, what I call the Capsule Podcast for Real Jam Radio with Ben Golliver and Kevin Pelton. So we did off-season review, lots to talk about in the Pacific, and then season preview, how many teams make the playoffs, ranking, all that fun stuff. So that's Real Jam Radio, that's available, and uh, that yeah, came out on Wednesday. All right, sounds good. We'll be back uh, early next week. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.